0: We'd all like to know how likely a player is to be traded. But how? I'll ask Jeff Zimmerman about that and a whole lot more next on Baseball HQ Radio.
1: Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt.
0: And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, June the 18th. It's show number 29 of the 2021 Fantasy Baseball season. I am Patrick Davich, your host, and we do have another great Friday full edition for you. We'll have our feature expert interview with Jeff Zimmerman from Rotographs, Baseball HQ, and the Launch Angle podcast discussing how to measure the likelihood of a player being traded, what it's like sitting atop the overall standings in the great Fantasy Baseball Invitational, why average exit velocity doesn't matter in assessing hitters, actionable platoons, and starting pitchers facing the same opponent. We'll have our MarketWatch player news reports. Harold Nichols has coverage of the National League, including Starlin Castro, Max Scherzer, Ryan McMahon's breakout, and more. And Ray Murphy has news from the American League, including a couple of devastating starting pitcher injuries and return from injury news in Kansas City and a lot more. We'll also have our regular commentaries from the expert analysts at BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. In the frequent flyer, Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky looks at Minnesota catcher Ryan Jeffers. And in extra innings, I'll be talking about a year-to-date hitter value quiz. It's another big Friday full edition. Thanks for joining us at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? We gotta talk some baseball. In the first inning of this Friday Full Edition, it's part one of our feature expert interview with Jeff Zimmerman, a terrific baseball analyst who writes and chats regularly at Rotographs, which is at the Fangraphs site. And Jeff also writes occasionally for Baseball HQ, in fact, has an article on the site coming up and we'll talk about that in a minute. He's leading the overall championship standings at the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational as we speak. Jeff Zimmerman, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Thanks for having me. It's always good to talk baseball with you there, Patrick. So you're all alone at the top of the list, 435 fantasy baseball experts in the great fantasy baseball invitational. And there's Jeff Zimmerman right at the top. What has got you to the top of the standings this season so far? I was kind of surprised.
1: I haven't, don't have like that. Well, Kevin Gosman um, has carried me some and um, I was kind of a big fan of um, J.D. Martinez. I was grabbed him quite a bit late. I was like, Once he was healthy in spring training and I was like, that's a second round pick. And I was just like, well, I'll grab him in like the seventh or eighth round. And he just really helped carry my team. And the rest of it, just no one that's really that exciting. Um, Salvador Perez has kind of had a breakout, but it's kind of about it.
0: Well, you mentioned uh, having Kevin Gaussman. You're 28th overall in ERA and 37th in WHIP. And we should point out, for people who aren't familiar, in a 435-team overall league, being 28th in something is really, really good. And as we go on, you're higher than that in some categories. But really, you struck gold with your starters. You mentioned Gaussman. Uh, you mentioned Matt Boyd. You've got uh, he's a, a 130 ERA, 080 whip on your roster. Uh, Spencer Turnbull, 182 ERA, 073 whip. And Carlos Rodon, a no-hitter. He's at 189, 084. Almost had another no-hitter the other night. If it wasn't for a bad umpire's call, he might have got it. And you've got Shane Bieber. And even not even counting that, your starting staff is really carrying your team.
1: Yeah, I haven't been able to find I, a second closer. I kind of played toward the bottom and drafted like three of them and like a lot of people just none of them hit. So I've had to just kind of ride the starters and probably gotten too many um strikeouts and wins. But if I really just without having that chance for a save, I've just been kind of just running them out there and have had some good luck with them. Had some people step in like Cole Urban, take a few and um I have to kind of just watch when Josh Fleming throws, but I like what he's kind of done. So it's gotten kind of my staff has kind of gotten to where I like it, where I've got usually, you know, starting right now, like eight guys and then got three guys on my bench and just kind of rotate them in depending on the matchup. So those last three guys like Stephen Matz, I've got him, but I don't throw him every week. That's just now I definitely won't for a couple of weeks, but just kind of how I work my teams that way.
0: I like to try to get them to that stage. So you're, Two weak categories, uh, your top 50 in 8 of 10 and top 30 in 4 categories, but you're well down in batting average and saves. Do these placings in uh, batting average and saves reflect a strategy going in? Did you kind of half-punt either of them? Um,
1: Not batting average in
0: particular. I, th- I actually thought it would be a little bit better than
1: what it was I had projected to. But Ian- there's just some players like Ian Happ has just really kind of been a drag on it. He hasn't um, provided any help. Um, so it's, yeah, it wasn't something I've been kind of trying to bring it up. I added Josh Harrison and kind of been starting him a little bit more. He doesn't provide any more than batting average. It's, it's just kind of a tough one. And, um, with kind of the saves, I have had Amir Garrett. That didn't work out very well. Um, also like when he was bad, I went with Sean Doolittle, Michael Givens, Wade Davis. Kind of have Paul Fry on my team, but he's on the bench. Besides Liam Hendricks, I just, I have just missed out on closers. I had Michael Fomer. I actually may still do. I think I dropped him, just trying to get get for it. So no, I just, um, hopefully at some point, maybe some teams will quit trying a little bit as we get close to football season or so forth, where I can end up getting pick up a closer or two and start moving up in those saves.
0: You're top two in RBI and top 15 in runs scored, but 48th overall in home runs. Do you find that unusual, or how do you explain it? Um, I've done that a lot of times. Um, One of my deals is I just
1: usually pick good hitters. So they end up, a lot of times I get guys with OBP that help with the runs scored, and um, a lot of times I get a lot of kind of the doubles guys, like J.D. Martinez isn't going to lead the league in home runs, but they'll still be pretty close. the one thing right now I know is I'm leading the league in at-bats. i just gotten the most, I just try to get these guys at to the top of that order that hit good and they'll end up just providing for my team. And I'm not going to chase the home runs. Like if I'm winning those two categories, that's fine. And um, so that's just one of those deals is I just try to go for those some um, plate appearances and lead those two categories. One year in Tout Wars, I set the record in RBIs, most RBIs the league had ever seen and I was eighth in home runs. It was kind of a weird deal, but it's just like, as long as I can get those guys sitting in the middle of the lineup, those counting stats will
0: come. And, of course, we know there's still a very long way to go, and it seems there might be differences between managing a leading team versus one that's halfway down the table and trying to move forward. What do you think the differences are in how you're going to manage your TGFBI team when you're protecting a lead versus if you are chasing the the front runners? I'm I'm not going to change anything yet. I may, um,
1: when it gets closer to the end, but so much could change. Like, it's like, oh, I have a great pitching staff. And then I've, you know, lost Shane Beaver yesterday. So I'm going to have to go out and replace him. And I just know bad things are going to happen along the way. So as of right now, nothing. Um, maybe at some point I may try to, The saves just don't ever come. Maybe I'll start trying to protect my ratios a little bit more toward the end and maybe see where some other teams can um, gain on me. But with so many, it's so tough with multiple, I mean, not just like one or two people trying to catch you, but 20, 30, 40 people breathing down your throat. It's tough to kind of attack all of them without knowing there's just like one or two of them there and um, or where I can kind of gain spots at. Right there at the end. So, right now, I'm just going to try to get as many stats as I can bank. And then, with those bank stats, if later on, where it's like, oh, I can't, I have enough runs and RBIs, I can move down a little bit. I can just move over my emphasis towards like
0: batting average. I was looking at the uh, TGFBI overall and the 20th place, guys, about. I think three hundred points or so behind you, and that's again that sounds like a lot, but it's not unusual to jump up and down forty fifty points in a day because the categories are so tightly packed with so many teams that you you know you get a three home run day and all of a sudden you jump you know twenty five thirty points in that, and that can happen across the way so although it seems like you're well clear at three hundred and eighty points, you're really not that far ahead of the twentieth place guy, yeah, and it's like. I
1: think a save there for a while was worth like a 30 point jump like just one save would get you that much. So yeah if you have one of those great days you see those people with 300 400 point jumps up and I've had them down that way too where you just get lit up um, ERA and ratio. so forth like the, yeah the G, the Giolito start I think everyone was you could tell everyone in the league who had that start on on their resume just how far they had dropped down with just that one. So especially it won't be as noticeable the later we get into the season. They won't move it as much. But you'll still see those people that get those like um complete gain no hitters. Um that those I mean that was nice with Rodon. I know the other people have got it when they had like it was those people that had like Kluber and I'm trying to remember the other picture that had like the back to back no hitters and it's like they just jumped up a ton when they had those. So Actually, it was Turnbull. That was, it was, he was the one that was like right there. And yeah, you tell those teams that it's like, well, now you're competitive just off of just two games.
0: Right. But uh, next week's, you know, if, if your Turnbull or your Kluber, you know, goes out there in three innings and seven runs, all of a sudden, all the good that got done by the previous week is undone. And you go down just as much as you went up. And that's the that's the sort of the thrill and excitement of this format, but also it's the makes managing, as you said, really difficult because you're you, in a 12 team league and in a rotisserie style category setup, you can look over your shoulder and see who's coming and, and have an idea of what they need and what they might be doing. And you can actually tactically try to interfere with them, trying to get done what they need to get done. But gosh, when you look at four, uh, four 435 I think I said uh, something like that, uh, players that you're that are behind you and all of this tightness in the categories it, it sort of begs the question can you manage this except to just do as as well as you can for as long as you can
1: yeah i think it's just do what manage what you can yeah I, I, that's the only way to deal with it i um there might be at some point where you just give up on certain categories but I mean, the best way to move up is to try to get into that fifty percent category where everyone else is bunched. Like right now, I'm so far off on the saves that it'd be like, oh, if I could just get into like from around where I'm at twenty to like into that thirty range, oh, that it'd just be great. But I'm, we'll we'll see if it happens. <laughs> i have just been struggling with it so far this season.
0: And I I expect you also play regular twelve and fifteen team leagues here and there.
1: Yeah, I've got um. My labor team's a 12-teamer, and Tout Wars, which is an OBP, is a 15, and then I've got um, some other um, leagues on NFBC. Um, I'm in the main event, got a couple teams in that, which are 15-teamers. I got a couple OCs. I kind of got stuff all over the board. I like playing everything, and um, you kind of learn a little bit from each one as things go along, and um, like I said, just give me the format and I'll try to figure out the rules and do the best I can. It might take me a year. There might be some rules I miss. I found that out a couple times, but yeah, year or two in the format. Um I'll
0: try to I'll try to be competitive. Can you remember a rule that you didn't know about that uh you found out about too late? Um I did not know
1: and I even in Tout Wars that we had the midweek replacements for like a whole year. I just missed that if a guy got hurt, you could put an um a healthy person in for it so that was one that um burnt me and i was like wait what are you talking about and yeah. i was like ne- never knew of the rule and i was like well that would have helped," <laughs> type of thing and and also there's some like kind of understanding um the one thing that happened to one time in labor and i'm kind of conscious about it this year is um it's a hundred dollars fab and that's it. There's no zeros. Each move costs a dollar. So you kind of have to be like, if you want to make a move, it's going to cost you one. So um, in the only league, sometimes you don't make moves. There's just no one available, but I'm in a 12 teamer, so There's always someone available. So it's kind of like, well, if I spend $4 a week. That's all I can spend to make like four moves. And that's it. So anytime I spend $10, I'm cutting out on my total number of moves. So it's one thing I've kind of been a little, Conscious on that one. And the first year I did it,
0: I kind of needed some moves at the end and already had spent all my money. Yeah, that's something you really have to be careful of. The zero dollar bidding in Tout Wars and the thousand dollar maximum both really help increase your flexibility. If you have to bid one dollar out of a hundred dollar budget, that's one percent. And, uh, you know, that can add up really quickly. And, that's something that when people say, you know, I understand that you play a lot of fantasy baseball. Here's our league rules. What what should we change? That's one of the first things I say is that if you have a hundred dollar budget for Fab, you should go to a thousand because uh, it just makes for more activity. I think a lot of guys are reluctant to even bid a dollar because it's relatively speaking, it's a pretty good chunk of your of your overall Fab budget. How how are you doing in all these other leagues?
1: I'm doing pretty good right now in labor. I'm in. I think I'm in first place. Me and Ariel Cohen are just neck and neck, um, kind of trade off every day or so. So, um, and that one in, um, tout wars, Michael Rathburn is destroying us. At one point he was like at 145 points out of 150. I think he's come back a little bit, but, um, even though I'm in second, it's not, I'm not competitive yet. He's, it's, I don't think there's any chance of me catching him. He's going to have to come down (laughs) to the pack for, for it to happen. Um, Fred Zinke and I have a really good main event team. It's kind of fell off this last week. We're leading our league and um, it's doing pretty good. Um, like I said, we're leading our league and kind of 40th overall. Like I said, we've dropped like 40 points. We just got the day the White Sox went off for like 18 runs. Like Jose Abreu was like 0 for 5. we got no stats out of that, out of that game. It's just like just completely an unlucky week. So, no, competitive. I was c- kind of happy to join those second chance leagues. I like those, those mid-season ones. and. I almost kind of like the draft more, kind of see how stuff's going. And um, I, I think that those are really interesting to see where players stand. Because um, that was kind of like when they had those drafts. That's the same knowledge that we had last year when we got into draft season. It was like we just had two months worth of data, and that's what we had to kind of go off of. And it'll be interesting to see how those second chance leagues compare to the end of season once people have some more information. because. That's what, we,
0: you know, it's just kind of the difference of um, two months versus six. You're listening to baseball HQ radio, Patrick Davitt with Jeff Zimmerman from FanGraphs, and every so often from baseball HQ as well. And Jeff, you do a regular chat at Rotographs every Sunday. It's always really active and really fun. In the June 13th edition, a reader asked you to choose from among Wade Miley, Adbert Alsley and Austin Gomber been talking a lot about Austin Gomber here at baseball HQ radio of late. Uh, Who did you choose from those three?
1: Oh, it's Wade Miley and it's not even close. Um, I actually like Azale. I just it's just that he's hurt right now. And that's kind of it's just gonna bring him down some, like you're gonna need someone. I mean and with Austin Gomber, maybe someone else is brave that would have worked last night. I just don't trust him at home. it's just one of those deals where it's like if you can't there's just no very few pitchers I would trust, you know, Rockies or any fourth starting in Colorado, it just can be such a blow up. Wade Miley has, you know, has an ERA under three. He's got crazy good ground ball rate at like 57, almost 60% right now, 55, 60%. Um, his strikeouts aren't the greatest, but he's going deep into games. It's I think people get caught up on the name, but I would not be surprised by the end of the season if he's like a top 20, top 30 pitcher. If no he kidding. just ends up making it. Um, let me see where he's standing right now. You can ask me the next question. I'll kind of look around and see where he's standing in in, um, the rankings right now.
0: Well, you said uh, in that same chat that you're dropping Jared Kelnick in all your 12-team leagues. Of course, Kelnick was sent down. How much of that is the need to have roster spots for active or streaming players, and how much is just your pessimism about his return to Major League Baseball?
1: Um, I think there's – I think he can return, but I think part of – where I stand is, in my 12 teamers, um, I just brought up one of my OCs right now, and it's like a dribble, um Herrera is available on my waiver wire. Is Austin Garnberg going to come up and hit 275 with, you know, a d- reasonable amount of home runs and stolen bases? Maybe. I mean, it's just going to be that as good as him, and he's going to be taking up a roster spot right now. So it's kind of like, well – Might have to pass, but then if I go over to my like 15 teamer, my top outfielder is Michael Taylor. Like that's you know it's just not that good of players out there. Daza for the Rockies, actually he probably should have been picked up this week, the home games. But it's just a a big difference, and I'm just going to kind of try to stream that 12 teamers. I just right now from what I'd seen of Clinic, I just don't think his talent's that good. So. It's. I just don't think it's a difference maker. Maybe it will be, but it just seems to like it's kind of like a low batting average with um, with the chance of steals and home runs. So right now I'm kind of passing. Going back to Miley, um, uh, just looking. So far this season he's 145th player. So in a, like a 12 teamer, like a 12th round pick and a 15 teamer, like a 10th round pick. So. Maybe not as good as I thought, but he's still done pretty good overall. And that was with hitters included also. So, no, I think he's he's one of those ones that's kind of sneaking on people that people kind of look at the name and move past it. But he's had a really good year, and I don't see how it can, um,
0: where he'll kind of change. Yeah, that's a pretty interesting thing about Wade Miley. His past performance over several years has really ingrained in our minds, I think, what we can expect from Wade Miley. And it's very difficult to process when he all of a sudden turns a corner of some kind starts performing much better. And you either say, well, it's just a short run thing or yeah, anybody can get lucky once in a while. And it takes us a little longer to accept that this pitcher has improved or any player has improved. Once we have this image of him in our mind, that's so hard to break away from.
1: Yeah. And, and the one thing I've kind of watched is I do this with all the guys like I look across his strikeouts, the same kind of his ground ball rates. Like he likes walking like half the batters he did last year. And I think the key is, is every week I go back and some of these guys, it's like, is that walk rate inching back up to what he historically has? And he's been able to keep it down, being able to keep throwing the strikes. So sometimes I don't look at it, but he always ends up on one of these, like, do you want lists? I'm like, Oh shoot, did he get bad? I'm like, no, still just as long as he's not walking people, I'm
0: fine with rostering him. Someone in the chat, Jeff, asked you about two catchers in an American League-only format, and your advice was join a shallower league. Uh, how come, what, what do you got against uh, AL onlys? I don't have a
1: problem with AL only. I do think the format for tout and labor, there's just too many hitters rostered right now. I think that the numbers should go down at least two. And just like backup catchers, I'm just not a fan of. That are the second catcher, but overall, just the number of hitters. I think that, like the only should be ten teams if you want to keep the same number of participants. That would make it like the equivalent of a twenty-team um, mixed league, or also take the number down da- down to the number of players that would be rostered. Would be able to keep the number of twelve teams if they want to keep the same number of owners. But I'm in a twelve-team AL only, and I'm not a 12 team, a nine team, with like the full rosters, and it's great. Like, there's just players on the wire. I've seen some weeks where you guys can't even add hitters. There's just no one out there, and I just don't think that's fun. Just kind of not my type. Like, I, I, there, you have to have it where it's like, you have to roster the worst player, and not have weeks where you just there's just no one available, and that just happens sometimes in the onlys.
0: I like playing it because it's just something that you have to deal with and everybody has those same problems to deal with and, and it, it increases the amount of attention that you have to pay to a player's injury history and setting a valuation, how willing you are to, to acquire a player at the draft stage and I think the, all of that is kind of fun but uh, I remember doing a story for Baseball HQ. This was a few years ago and already you could see the way that things were shaping up for these only leagues and the percentages when rotisserie baseball was founded way back in the day it was roughly about 70 percent of all the pitchers and 70 percent of all the hitters because the big league teams had different roster constructions than they do now and now we're to a situation where it's 95 percent of the hitters and 50 percent of the pitchers and i've often said to anybody that'll listen you know we do have to address this imbalance somehow and my solution was to just get rid of the the the, the two extra infielders and go to one have four outfielders instead of five, and I think you can almost even it out just doing that. But uh, certainly going from 12 teams to 10 or 12 teams to 11 in the league itself, something like that, I know people who have actually added a couple of National League teams into the American League player pool so that they just they have the same rules and the same rosters. They just increase the supply of players. But something really, it seems like something needs to be done because it is kind of disheartening. To have a pretty good roster, and then all of a sudden, you know, one of your best players goes on the DL for six weeks. And really, if it's one of your first or second round players, or even your third round player, and that you lose that guy for six weeks, you really have very little chance of, of competing at that point.
1: Yeah. The one other thing, I was in a league one time, and everyone, when I first saw it, I thought it was the craziest rule in the world. But after like going through the league, It helped the players a ton. Is we were allowed a four person bench and that was it. There was no IL, nothing else. So players got back. Even in like tout right now, I want to do the math because it's ridiculous. We have the unlimited IL and I think that kind of causes some problems. But um, right now I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight eight players on the DL that I can stash. I mean, that I've, that I've stashed. And I just think that I kind of like the NFBC format where there's just a set amount and some of those players are back in the pool. And I think that kind of runs into a problem in some of those only leagues. But yeah, I played in that one with only four. And it's like, if you want to stash them, you stash them. But it just had players out there for people to pick. There wasn't so many players stashed away. And I felt it was funner during the season.
0: When I started in fantasy baseball I played in a 4x4 four four American League 12 team league and we had no reserve list. You could DL a guy if he was actually on the league DL, but if otherwise the only thing we had was a farm roster and that was strictly for players who were in the minor leagues had still had their rookie eligibility and as soon as they were called up you had to activate them too. There was no there was none of the ability to just Hog players back and keep them out of the pool for no reason other than you wanted to keep them out of the pool. And I think that's something else that these 12 team leagues really need to start taking a look at to expand the available pool for injury replacements, especially is just stop players from hoarding playable players on their reserve list just because they can.
1: Yeah. And I'm not like intentionally doing it, but it's like if it's the rules, I'm, you know, I'm not dropping Andrew Benintendi you know, just to increase the pool for everyone else. And um, so, yeah, I, I think there needs to be just some kind of limit. Like I, I kind of like the NFPC or this other league's format where it's like, if you want to keep the guy, you can keep him forever. You know, the the guy in the IL, if not, you put him out there. And then when he starts getting healthy, you either have to add him and, you know, start making those kind of decisions. And that was actually kind of a big deal was like, you'd start seeing a guy get healthy and then, You know, the cat and mouse game, do you wait a week on Luis Severino? Actually, he's probably a bad example. Or I'm trying to think of someone else that's coming back here recently. But it's like, when do you start looking to add him and you have to just sit him and use up one of your few bench spots for that? So, no, it it added a new dynamic to the league. And, um, yeah, I've heard the ones like yours also where I've heard the ones with none. Like, you just sit, try to get your team for the week the best one you can, and that's who you send out. And you don't have any
0: reserves. Everyone else has that same player pool. So, and you have to stick with your pitchers week in and week out. You can't swap them in depending on whether they're in Coors Field or not, or whether they're playing, the, you know, the Red Sox or the Blue Jays or not. You just have to play them and play them throughout. And it, I think, it's way more realistic that way because uh, most major league teams don't have the luxury of saying, you know, we're we're going into Colorado. I'm just not going to start this pitcher. They just hold their nose and they start them and hope for the best. And I think that not being not being forced to do that in our fantasy environments is removes a bit of the realism of it.
1: Yeah, the yeah, it's it's definitely so. I've got some guys this this week but I'm just like anymore, it's like you just can't even actually um the Toronto going to Toronto is the scariest thing right now. I'm the Rockies like lineup doesn't scare me. It's like the field up in Buffalo and that team is just like I want nothing to do with them right now.
0: Yeah, no kidding. Uh, you advised somebody in your chat to take Bobby Bradley of Cleveland over Michael Franco. Uh, what was your thinking about Bobby Bradley because of the we know about the strikeout concerns? Well, the
1: strikeout concerns have just disappeared, and that's actually what I'm interested in. Is they're down? They were down in Triple A, and they're at thirteen percent right now. Now that could even if that doubles to twenty six percent. Him at 26% strikeout rate is really interesting. Um, so I'm more of like, get Bobby Bradley, see if something's changed. Maybe it hasn't. Maybe that you know this next week he's going to strike out 60% of the time and everything will go back to normal. But if it doesn't, he's definitely a lot more intriguing. He's making more contacts. So um, we kind of know what Michael Franco is. He's kind of done the same thing for uh, six, seven, eight years. So. I just don't think there's any upside, but if Bobby Bradley's made this change um, or has made a change, go for it and um, see if it sticks. So he's still hitting for power. I mean, not going to have like a 430 BABIP, but I'm not even I really don't worry about the BABIP in that small of a sample. I'm more looking at that 13 percent strikeout rate and just hoping it can doesn't
0: grow too much. Those kinds of things are interesting to see if the player has actually developed or acquired a new skill that has the, has some staying power because that is a skill being being patient at the plate can be learned and can be applied and, and if bobby bradley 's done that, boy, the sky 's the limit. I think uh, someone asked you about Jake Fraley because and their their concern with Jake Fraley was that his average exit velocity on batted balls is under 83 miles an hour and your reply was really interesting you said average exit velocity doesn't even matter why not um I about a year and a half ago I when we had a kind of
1: enough um, of the um, stat cast data it's like you have one year you really can't kind of create projections or see how much you know, there's enough correlation. So once there was enough, I went through it. And what I found was the problem with average exit velocity is if you just get one or two low outliers, it really brings the guy down, like his average down. Um, Truthfully, like probably median would be a better thing. And talking to some of the teams, the one thing they prefer is like an 80% or 90% um, exit velocity. They kind of felt like that top one was a little bit if you go with max and that's actually what I've used to try to determine them, they said, sometimes you can get a kind of a big outlier there. You kind of want to cut off is just kind of cut off those outlier ends. And um, so they were saying like, kind of get like a guy's true power is to look at um, more of the top end instead of the average. So that's kind of where I stand. And it's like one of the big things over at Savant right now is I think when you bring up their little chart, there's like 14 things there. And like nine of them or eight of them are all to deal with like how hard does he hit the ball? And it's like, you only need one and probably the most predictive thing that they put out right now is uh, max exit velocity. And um,
0: so predictive of how hard they hit the ball. I've always liked also the uh, percentage of uh, balls in play that are hit hard uh, because uh, I think that captures not only the, ability to hit the ball hard, depending on how you define hardness, but say over 100 or over 95, whatever sort of threshold you want to set. But I'm really interested to know, is this guy doing this you know, 60% of the time, 40% of the time, 20% of the time, because it's a huge difference if two players have a very similar exit velocity, but one of them's only doing it in a fifth of his uh, balls in play and the other guy's doing it 80% of the time. It's just a huge advantage to the, to be the person who has on his roster, a guy who hits the ball hard lots rather than just harder than the next guy.
1: Oh, I, you're, you're right. Like, that's what I'm saying. I think the average is the one thing you kind of want to stay away from. You kind of want to look at um, something else. The one thing I do like is something like barrels. I'm not hundred percent sure barrels is correct for the fantasy game, but it does show the ability to get the ball off the ground, which has been like Vlad jr's problem until this year. Obviously everything's going up in the air now, but getting it up in the air and hitting it hard, that kind of that combination. and I don't know which one is like great for our fantasy value, and barrels is, you know, readily available for everyone. But actually, like, barrel rate is a nice one to look at, too, kind of getting that combination. And then if they have a low barrel rate, you can kind of pull that apart and look like, oh, what's their launch angle or their ground ball rate? And then, like, how hard are they hitting it? Which one aren't they getting the ability to? And maybe it's both, you know, maybe they're hitting everything soft in the ground. But that's kind of that combination where it's like they need both of those to start hitting home runs and until they get, you know, they could be the hardest hit balls in the world. I think Yandy Diaz is always near the top, but it's with just with a crazy ground ball rate. He just, you know, blowing holes in front of the pitcher's mound.
0: (laughs) How does average exit velocity matter when you're looking at pitchers that do you still prefer to look at maxes and, and percentages? I had, I could
1: not find anything measurable. On e- for any of their exit velocity for any pitcher. The big thing with them is that launch angle. Where are they are they putting it in the ground? You know, are they getting the ground balls or are they getting up pop ups. And I kind of actually wonder if it's like we should be looking at their barrel rate with them. I it's not. I actually don't know if it's actually put out for the pitchers, but it's kind of like are they allowing people to hit the ball hard? Into the air, you know, into that one zone. Like it used to be when we had the little dead and we had the dead and ball, once you got enough air underneath it, it was an out, like there was just not going out. And the last couple of years, you know, anything that they put in the air with any kind of emphasis was just going to end up flying out. And this year, that's down a little bit with the new ball and the balls kind of changed everything, you know, from year to year. It keeps jumping around. So we don't know what we're getting. But, um, With pitchers, yeah, the biggest key, I think, right now, since you don't know what MLB is going to do with the ball, is just trying to keep that ball on the ground and keep
0: those home runs in check. In response to a question about pitcher pickups in points leagues, you said you have a relatively simple yardstick. What was that? Um, The one thing is, I think the question also
1: um, mentioned that they had used um, quality starts. And... If you're in a quality starts league, hitting that quality start is huge. Um it's worth so many points. And um I'm actually doing really good in my um in some of those best ball leagues with that count quality start on, starts on fan tracks. And just that one stat, looking for those guys that go long into games and taking that into account is huge. So I just like the innings per start. That's one of the biggest things I like to try to see from a pitcher is how long they're going, do they give you that enough of a chance to get the quality start um Blake Snell as much as they complain about the innings he throw it's the number of pitches he just he's hitting that 100 limit just like every other pitcher but he's every batter he's taken to eight pitches and he he just can't do that to and still be effective so no I like those guys that quickly go out there get it done and even if they give up a ground ball along the way um they can kind of make it deep and get that chance for those quality starts
0: and just kind of rack up those points. I used to like looking at pitches per out while I was watching a game on TV. I'd just count the outs and count the pitches, and anything under five or so was – meant you might have a chance at a quality start or a win because he was going to, if he got to 100 pitches, he'd get to, you know, into the sixth or maybe through the sixth, maybe into the seventh even if he could maintain it. And then, you know, if he had an inning where he had to throw 35 pitches or something to get his three outs because he gave up hits and walks, you just, you can just see that win or that quality start fluttering away on the breeze like a butterfly and and you think to yourself, well, better luck next time. But in the, in the larger scheme, I think you're right that one of the things that people in leagues like that need to look at is how many pitches does this pitcher throw per game? And then how many outs is he getting with them? Which translates, of course, to innings.
1: Yeah. And the, and it's just like another step and no one really creates projections for it. So if you just kind of do that extra step, it's it's huge. And it makes a difference just between – a lot of times you have a difference between just two pitchers that may have the same talent and just grabbing that one that gives you you know five extra quality starts during the season – can really kind of add up on the point side.
0: Someone asked you why the Royals seem to underappreciate Edward Olivares. This is a question that came up uh, for us last week. Uh, Ray Murphy and I were talking about this very thing, and I know you said, uh, just don't get me started about how Kansas City is managing their outfield situation, but what is going on here?
1: They Michael Taylor's got, like, naked pictures of Dayton Moore or something. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I think they... The Royals will spend money on these guys and they invest in them. And when they don't produce, and kind of expectedly, like Michael Taylor's never really been great, it's like they just will not move on. I think the right move right now is to move Michael Taylor to the bench, start Oliveras, and just go with that. And they just won't. So also, I think they're kind of waiting for like Jorge Soler to come around, and that's just not working either. There's like, those two big voids are in the lineup. I mean, there's also the um, Jorge Lopez one, but – I mean, not Jorge Lopez. Um, Nikki Lopez. But um, with Mondesi, I mean, that that's obviously what's going on there. Mondesi's hurt, so he should be able to fill that in. But there's just better hitters, and I don't know when they're actually going to make a move to make Oliveras, you know – the everyday player, but there's just no reason for him to be playing or for him to be down in the minors at any time with Michael Taylor on the team.
0: And yet he is, so uh, when you look at the situation, do you just have to uh, sadly wave goodbye to Edward Olivares for the time being, knowing that Kansas City is likely to mismanage the situation? I think so. I think until they, until they make
1: an active decision – then they start sitting Michael Taylor. I, I don't think there'll be any, any opportunities. And I just wish they would try to win. And it's more like they don't want to look bad instead. Like, Oh, we made this deal. We're going to play this guy because we signed this free agent. And since we signed him, you know, he's great. And It's just like, just accept the sunk cost. You should have known like, Oh, there's a good chance when we signed him, we're going to have to bench him. And I think that, I don't think that crossed their minds or it's been that way for a few years when they'll just completely continue to run out bad players, even like they should have. i Escobar should not have been on a world a world series winning team, but he was, and he was leading off at times. And it was like, God, if we lose a world series because of him, it's just like, yeah. gotta be someone better out there.
0: Someone asked about Eric Hosmer, speaking of sunk costs, uh, he's been struggling all season and the, the person who was chatting with you uh, said, should I drop him or what should I do? And you said, depends on who you get to replace him, which seems fairly obvious. But it, it is a tough question, Jeff, isn't it, that fantasy managers each year have to face when they have to cut bait on a relatively high draft pick or a guy with a fairly solidly established reputation, a name player. Normally, we want to give an established player a longer leash before we cut him from our rosters. How do you manage that difficult question about when to to cut bait on an established guy.
1: Yeah, it it is one of the toughest ones, and um, I've been I deal with it all the time. I finally cut bait with Carrasco in one league just because it was like just taking up too much space, and I had to move on. And it was just like I don't know if he's coming there, coming back. But for the guys that are playing, the biggest key is just look at the wire and see if you really just think you can improve your team, um, going back to my 15 teamers, I was looking at one right now for first base. Christian Walker was the best place. Maybe Danis, Danny Santana on the wire. That's not exactly like I'd probably stick with, um, Eric Cosmer, but on another one, I've got Joey Votto, Brandon belt, having Smith, all of them have been playing decent this year. I would probably go with one of them instead is instead of how bad, um, Um, Hosmer's been playing like I would definitely take a chance. Yeah, like I said, all three of them I would go go with right now. So I think part of it is really like the depth. Like I brought up, like I just wish on some of those questions, like, hey, I is it time to drop Hosmer four and give me like your top three choices, not just like can I drop him? Like, well, yeah, and depending on you know the league. Um, Also at this point, maybe owners are still kind of locked into the cost and I'm trying to think of in some places I was trying to think of some of my tougher cuts here recently. I know Framber Valdez was one since he kind of got moved to like the sixth or seventh spot, you know, in, in Houston, like he's just, um, Oh, no, it's, um, wonder Javier got, yeah, the Houston guys that got moved down and it's like, well, what do I want to do with that? And then, then like this case, it's like, Hosmer, I just hope people didn't invest too much in him. But maybe they did, and they felt like it. But you got to move, improve your team. And maybe one choice, like I like to do, is if they're not performing, is add the guy you want to that you're going to put in there, Joey Votto, and see if if you're fine just sitting Hosmer on your bench, and you're fine with him on the bench, and you're probably fine with him on the waiver wire.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Uh, you know, a guy who comes to mind uh, earlier in the season and still has only just started to break free is Kevin Biggio of Toronto, who's had a really dreadful year. And he was like a fifth, sixth rounder in some drafts. And I had him on my TGFBI team. And I actually, I ended up having to bench him. And and, uh, I think I'm glad I hung on to him. But gosh, it was, uh, you know, at, at that point in the TGFBI format, you put him on your reserve. That means somebody has to leave your reserve. And in this case, I was lucky that I had a guy that I could just flop from reserve into Biggio spot. But gosh, sometimes that decision isn't all that easy because you have guys on your reserve, especially injured guys that are pretty sure to come back. You can get uh, squeezed pretty tightly.
1: Oh, it's in one league, um, we got down to Jeff McNeil and Michael Conforto. We had to cut one of those two. It was a 12-teamer, but it was just like, just had to put a lineup out there and had better players than them that were hurt and dealing with them for the week, and it was just, just a it, horrible decision. But it was like, well, if I'm going to win and put, get those at bats in to get everything every week, it's tough to make those up. So Conforto was the one that got cut, and he got sucked up right away. But it was just like, it was the best thing for our team, and we had so many players coming back that you know he, he may not have actually made the cut. So. It's just such a tough thing. Yeah, I was holding Fanburg Valdez. I really liked him. And and before he got hurt, I owned him about everywhere. So it was kind of nice to kind of get him here recently. But there were some weeks it's like, well, is it worth keeping him? And when the first news came out, he was like done for the season. And that's one thing I've always found is whenever you get that first injury news and they're done for the season, I will usually hold for like a week. Like I want to get the full data. I don't want the initial one. I want like three or four days worth of information before I actually drop a guy, and then and then I'll make it. I I was um, trying to remember one year like some guy was like, oh he's done for the year, and like a week later he's coming back in two, and it was just like, well that sucked for everyone that dropped him, you know that type of thing.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, if you depending on the day of the week when it happens. Taking three or four days to find out puts you into the next week, and now you've hung on to a dead spot for, you know, seven, uh, 8, 9, 10, 11 days. Uh, Jeff, this has been super interesting. We'll take a break, uh, move on to our Market Watch Player news reports. Can you hang loose for a few minutes? I'll get Nick and Ray in to bring us up to date. Oh, yeah, I'll hold on. Jeff Zimmerman writes regularly for Rotographs at the Fangraphs website and sometimes for BaseballHQ.com, and he'll be back a little later in the pod. As I said, we'll take a quick break here, and then we'll come back to those National League and American League player news updates. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio. Jeff Zimmerman appears at Rotographs, Baseball HQ, and the Launch Angle Podcast. Coming up, we have our Market Watch player news reports. Nick has the National League news, and Ray has the American League next on Baseball HQ Radio. Right now, though, it's time in the show when I get to let you know about some of the great content that lets us say BaseballHQ.com is the best fantasy baseball website in the business. In playing time tomorrow, analyst Jock Thompson, hey, we know him. Jock has snapshots of the rotations of all five teams in the American League West, including the Inconsistent Angels, the Improving Mariners, and the Rolling Athletics. In the Arsenal report, analyst Tanner Smith, he'll be a guest expert here on Baseball HQ Radio in a few weeks, and Tanner looks at two Cy Young-level pitchers whose spin rates declined, coincidentally with the Major League announcements about enforcing sticky substance rules. And in the Bullpen Buyer's Guide, columnist Doug Dennis looks at relievers who have home run per nine rates under 0.5, And those are just three articles among literally dozens. A small sampling of all the great content you'll find at BaseballHQ.com all the time. Player performance validation in facts and flukes. News updates in playing time today. Roster forecasting in playing time tomorrow. Buyer's guides for hitters, starters, and relievers. Fantasy market analysis in Brad Coleman's Market Pulse. Injury analysis in Matt Cederholm's column, The Big Hurt and groundbreaking fantasy baseball research. As well, we have tools like the player projections updated every day, daily dashboards, pitcher matchups planners, leading indicators for hitters and pitchers. Listen, you add it all up, you get expert content, plus tools you can use to improve your teams and win your leagues. And they're why we call our site the best fantasy baseball website in the business.
2: Baseball HQ Radio. (laughs)
0: And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Time now for our Market Watch player news reports. Ray Murphy on deck with the American League Report. And leading off, it's our National League News and our old friend, Baseball HQ pitcher matchups analyst, Harold Nichols. Nick, welcome back to the show.
3: Thank you, Patrick.
0: Let's start in New York with Jacob deGrom and try to get the latest update on that story. Of course, he was pitching very well in his last start, but I think it was three or four innings and he just stopped pitching. And now the Word is that he might have some kind of shoulder problem. He had some tests that ruled out serious issues, but he's supposed to do some additional tests this week, and we still don't even know if he's going on the IL. Phil Hertz covers all of this for playing time today. Uh, What are DeGrom's fantasy managers supposed to do, Nick?
3: Well, you know, at this point, the the additional tests apparently did not reveal any problem. kind of a structural issue either. So uh, it's, uh, it's uncertain what's going on. The Mets have said they're not planning on putting him on the I.L. Uh, the only question will be whether they decide to rest him for one start. Uh, it, with, given the, the uh, recurring issues, that might be a good idea. Give him a little more rest between starts and see if that solves the problem. Uh, even though it's generally good news, it wouldn't be surprised if they, if they do decide to, to give him a rest, although they have two doubleheaders coming up next week. So that could have something to do with it. Uh, Sean Reed Foley is a name to check out. Uh, he was the pitcher who came into the game and was credited with the win on June the 16th when DeGrom exited. Uh, also, Title Miguel uh, remains a future option. And uh, with the two doubleheaders, that, that he may indeed be an option for this next week.
0: Boy, I don't have uh, DeGrom on any of my fantasy rosters, of course, because I just am not a big believer in that to start your draft with a with a pitcher, and you certainly had to start your draft with a pitcher if you wanted to have Jacob deGrom. But I'm really curious how people are going to respond to this news, and I think until he goes on the I.L., don't you just have to start him and hope that he gets through at least five innings, maybe catches you a win, because those decimals, his performances, even in five innings, he could probably pick you up eight or nine strikeouts. Everything about Jacob deGrom screams fantasy benefit, but there's this lingering thing in the back of your mind that, well, what if he only goes an inning and then and then leaves? I I don't know. What do you have Degrom anywhere on any of your rosters?
3: I do have Degrom on a roster, and I, it was simply a matter of him uh, sitting out there so long that I finally decided I had to pick him up, and uh, and he's been wonderful. Uh, you know, and even if he goes four innings, the, as you said, the ratios are are unbelievable. Four innings, eight strikeouts. That's more than you're getting for most guys in seven innings. So. And zero walks in that. So as as a fantasy manager, you have to start him. Because even if he doesn't get in the the link long enough to qualify for a win, uh, he's going to be fine in terms of everything else you want from him as a a fantasy manager. So, uh, yeah, DeGrom's DeGrom's a must-start if he's pitching.
0: Well, and that's the problem, isn't it? Because in a lot of leagues, you have to make that decision uh, re- relatively early. And then, uh, if you decide to have him active uh, on your roster, and then on Monday morning he goes on the IL, or or they, you know, tell the world that uh, Degrom's not going on the IL, but he's going to skip a start. Then you take a zero in the slot, and that's the uh, difficult choice. I guess a lot of it, Nick, comes down to if you don't start Degrom, who else who else are you going to start?
3: There you go. That's the question. If you if you don't start Degrom. Who else on your roster or on the waiver wire is going to get you anything that's not going to hurt the numbers you already have?
0: In Arizona, Nick, they got some good news. They activated right-hander Zach Gallen from the I.L. on Thursday for a start against San Francisco. He had been on the I.L. for quite a while with elbow issues. Uh, What's the latest from playing time today?
3: And the return to duty was not very auspicious. He lasted only 2.2 innings, gave up four hits, a walk, four and runs. He didn't strike out three uh, before hitting the IL it had a 3.04 ERA a 4.14 X ERA strikeout rate of 32%, strikeout minus walk rate, 18%, BPV of 89. Pretty good numbers. So if you can match those numbers going forward, he will be an asset in most redraft leagues and assuming future health, his history of a sub three ERA makes him a good candidate in keeper or dynasty leagues. The only problem is whether that elbow is going to last. I mean, there's a, we know there's a there's a structural problem there uh, is rehab going to take care of it or are we looking at tommy john surgery down the road
0: I was going to say, you mentioned a strikeout rate of 32% and a strikeout minus walk of 18%. And I'm no mathematician, but that sounds like a 14% walk rate. And 14% walk rates are not the stuff that aces are made of. And oftentimes when pitchers start to have control issues, it's a bulky elbow that's really the cause of it and also kind of a symptom of it.
3: Right, very definitely. And so it's one of those things where there, there's something going on. We They just, the Mets, the uh Diamondbacks decided on rehab. Uh, I I have real questions about Gallup, whether Gallup will make it through the rest of the season. But, uh, you know, that's just, just kind of a gut feeling at this point.
0: In Philadelphia, Nick, the Phillies put infielder John Segura on the 10-day IL. On Wednesday, he's got a groin strain, a lot of groin strains this week for some reason. The team also recalled infielder Nick Maton from AAA. What are the playing time ramifications here with Segura's having a good year, but he's back on the IL?
3: Yeah, the injuries aren't particularly unfortunate because he's having an excellent season, but he's in the lineup. Uh, for the season, of three thirty two batting average, three homers, six steals, uh, but the initial projections now are that he will miss, miss at least three weeks. Um, the time was red hot when he was first recalled this season, but after a one-for-four start on May the 18th, he went zero for 20, earning the trip back to Lehigh Valley. Uh, during his stay there, he went five for 25 with one home run. So maybe an option in very deep leagues uh, if you're looking for a temporary replacement, but unlikely to be a long-term answer uh, for either Philadelphia or for your fantasy roster.
0: Then that raises the question, of course, if Matan's not the answer, who is?
3: Yeah, and at this point, I'm not sure we know. In Philadelphia, they've got other kinds of problems, so uh, Matan is all we know about at the moment. Uh, i go looking on the waiver wire if I had him on a fantasy roster. It's, you're on a fantasy roster, and we're looking for a replacement.
0: I wonder if uh, it's time to look at Brad Miller a little bit.
3: I think so. Brad Miller's been doing very well, and Brad Miller's still on your waiver wire. i, I picked him up and. In one league, it might pick him up in another but just because he's he's been hitting well this season and would be a good fill-in at some point along the line.
0: In Washington, uh, here's another odd story. Third baseman Starlin Castro was placed on the Major League Baseball restricted list on Wednesday, not the injured list, but nobody's saying why. The Nats recalled uh, shortstop Luis Garcia from AAA to replace Castro on the roster. Uh, Phil Hertz covers the Nationals for playing time today. So I'll ask you, Nick, what do we know? Or more accurately, what don't we know?
3: We don't know anything. <laughs>
0: uh,
3: it's, it's really far from clear if this is a short term issue or if it's a long term issue. Uh, at, at Baseball HQ, we made a downward adjustment of his playing time, but only a 5% at this point. But to Call it for Garcia, on the other hand, one of the Nationals' top prospects. We've given him a 20% bump in playing time. So hard to tell exactly what's going on. Uh, Castro has not been very good this season, a 2.12 expected batting average, 49 PX, a minus 2 BPV. So uh, stay tuned at this point for more news on what's really happening with starting Castro. Uh, Garcia, as I said, is one of the national top prospects, Uh, not rookie eligible. He batted 134 times in 2020 and unclear at this point how they will deploy things with Castro out. One possibility is that Garcia would get plenty of time at second base with Josh Harrison moving to third. Or they could also plug Jordy Mercer into the lineup. Might depend on how long Castro was missing and how Garcia performs when he plays.
0: Well, there was a story in the Washington Post that said Castro was referring to unspecified family issues. Uh, that he talked it over with manager Davey Martinez, and uh, Martinez, according to the paper, said. He told Castro to put his family first over baseball, and the situation needed to be addressed. But he didn't say what the situation was. So I guess all we can do is uh, wish Starlin Castro the best with whatever the issue is, especially if it's family related, and uh, hope that he gets back and can resume playing. But in the meantime, you got to do what you got to do and uh, start thinking about making a replacement pick.
3: Absolutely, and as I as we said, Castro has not been playing well anyway. So uh, it may be actually fairly easy to replace him. Harder to do perhaps mentally than it is in terms of actual numbers.
0: More bad news in Washington. Ace right-hander Max Scherzer walked off the mound early in his last start, and later on he told reporters that he tweaked his groin, he said. An MRI revealed his groin was inflamed, but there had been no strain. A strain means there's been no tearing of any kind of tissues. Nonetheless, Max Scherzer is going to the IL. That will be retroactive to June 12th, so he could be back as early as the 22nd. Uh, Phil Hertz covering the Nationals, as I mentioned. What's the story uh, what's the latest, I guess I should say, on Max Scherzer?
3: Well, you know, at this point, Scherzer tried to get loosened up on Monday, June the 14th. Uh, couldn't get loosened up during that session, and I think that's when they decided to that he would not make the start on June the 16th and go ahead and put him on the I.L. Um, there's a chance that, that that one start on June the 16th is the only one that he'll miss. Uh, in the meantime, Washington recalled writing Justin Miller to claim his spot on the active roster. Miller has an expected earn-run average of 4.50 but it's been very effective for AAA Rochester so far this season. has a 0.55 ERA, 29 strikeouts, 4 walks, over 16.1 innings pitched. Uh, for now, there's no expectation that he'll get much late in the action. As for the rotation, one possibility is Austin Voth, who has a 3.81 ERA and a 99 BPP over 30 innings.
0: There was some good news. The media were reporting in Washington that manager Mike Rizzo said He just tweaked his groin. He said uh, he felt that he could pitch through it, but the team decided that it's only June. Washington's starting to round into shape, and even though they're also missing Steven Strasburg, of course, they're just going to to try to let things calm down in that area by giving him the full 10 days off, which, as you said, is just going to cost him a start or maybe two, depending on how the rotation would have worked out. But apparently, he's allowed to keep throwing while he's uh, on the shelf with this groin tweak and that means that he might not be as rusty as we'd expect when he comes back, so uh, we can sort of feel a little more confident than we sometimes do Zach Gallant, for instance, uh, where a situation where the guy's been uh, out and not pitching and comes back and you know has a bit of rust to shake off to get started. It, it could be that Scherzer will be able to come back and uh, keep pitching to the high standard that he's established.
3: It's indeed possible that that, that, that could be the case. As you said, he, he has been able to throw it's just uh, whether he can get loosened up with that groin and of course that will as the groin heals that will get better and better we hope
0: we hope (laughs) Yeah, famous last words but I'm fairly confident about this I have Max Scherzer in one of of my rosters and uh, I'm Because of the timing of it, I'm going to have to check and see if I can bench him for the week to to take advantage of the start. But I'm going to have to look pretty closely, I think, and see when the start after that is. And I'll bench him for the week. If he's on the IL for the week, that's fine. And then probably reassess on the weekend.
3: Sounds like a good plan.
0: Back to Miami, uh, we had a story about uh, Marlins calling up outfield prospect Jesus Sanchez. Uh, Phil Hertz covered this, and Sanchez was also mentioned in the call report on uh, Wednesday of this week. What's the deal with Jesus Sanchez down there in Miami?
3: Well, you know, the call report, I think, did an excellent job of discussing what Jesus Sanchez is likely to be like when, he's, when he's, as he's called up. First game was one for four. Uh, doesn't tell you much. As the column said, approach, approach, approach. It all begins and ends with that for uh, Sanchez. 6'3", 222 pounds, 23 years old. He's tantalized with big raw tools, including plus-plus raw power, but has been held back by a very aggressive approach that has limited his hit utility and resulted in too many ground balls and sapping a lot of his game power. Sanchez came over from Tampa Bay in the 2019 trade for Nick Anderson and Trevor Richards. Uh, he struggled across two levels in 2019, didn't fare well in 2020. The Major League debut went one for 25 with 11 strikeouts. But he's also needed adjustment periods at every level as he's climbed the ladder. And he came back this season as the hottest hitter in the minors. scorching opposing AAA pitchers with a tune of 349, 400, 643 line, five doubles, three triples, nine home runs, 6.4% walk rate, 19.3% strikeout rate. Uh, approach is still aggressive though he's making a ton of solid contact and keeping the whiffs down. That said, his hit rate has been fairly high, 38.7%. He struggled over his last 10 games in the minors, going 238, 319, 429, though he's kept the plate discipline in check with four walks and 10 strikeouts and 42 at-bats. It seems likely that Major League pitchers are going to exploit his aggressiveness, so don't expect the same kind of slash line in terms of batting average or on-base percentage. But he'll still likely punish what he can connect with, uh, though his approach is at risk of offering the bad pitches that results in a lot of ground ball outs. He'll need to manifest more plate discipline, try to focus on offering at the pitches that he can elevate. But his ability to adjust to a level over time hedges him beyond just an average starter future. Should his hit to a bump, this guy could grow into a monster. And even south of that, he's a 20-plus Former guy, counter, corner outfielder, batting average around 250 Defensively can play all three outfield positions, but average speed, questionable routes, profiling much better in right field, though left field may be where he winds up. So certainly someone to keep an eye on, someone we may not perhaps have uh, the idea of making a big splash initially, but if you've got him on a dynasty roster, I'd hang on, because as we said, a history of adjustment as he moves up, and if that adjustment comes, he could be doing it in the majors, what he was doing in the minors earlier this season
0: of course we'll have to see if that does indeed translate but it's exactly the kind of profile you want to see nick isn't it with a prospect where somebody says to him your chances of making the big leagues are going to be much better if you stop swinging and missing if you stop striking out if you start drawing a few walks and he does it and that indicates a coachability that's quite welcome in modern baseball because a lot of guys just say, to heck with you, I'm just going to swing from the heels and, and let the chips fall where they may. It seems like the young man has his head on straight if nothing else, and that augurs well for his future. I think I'm really interested in Jesus Sanchez.
3: Yeah, I am as well. I, I was picking him up earlier this year as he was tearing up the minors in keeper leagues thinking, I'll just hang on to the guy and see what happens to him. Even if he's not somebody, I put him in my, in my immediate roster as he's uh, been promoted to the majors.
0: Well, Nick, it wouldn't be a National League report here at Baseball HQ Radio if we didn't mention Ryan Bloomfield's speculative report, it seems. Uh, his latest column is called uh, A Bloomboard's Barrage, and that's a reference, of course, to Ryan's Twitter feed where he has these little snippets that he puts together about various topics. He looks at, uh, at hitters and pitchers and puts them into little tables, puts the little tables on Twitter. It's a great, uh, great little feature to... Introduce people to some of the ways of thinking at BaseballHQ.com, and he was talking in this last column about Ryan McMahon in Colorado and he says Ryan McMahon's in breakout mode. What does that mean?
3: Well he did you know, Ryan McMahon, what 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 uh what Bloomfield was looking at was year over year improvement. So if you look at what McMahon, contact rate sixty two percent twenty twenty, up to seventy four percent this year. Nice jump. Uh expected power index, one fifty eight a year ago, one seventy nine this season. Early career struggles for Ryan McMahon, and that's not a problem. That's that's normal in Colorado because they seem to play games with their young talent, having them in and out of the lineup. But now McMahon is playing every day, and he's living up to the hype. Contact rate up 12 points. Hasn't come at the expense of power. 15 home runs. Career high 179. Expected power index. Age 26. As uh, this is an age 26, breakout in the making. Now, skills goes compared to last year. Say he isn't slowing down anytime soon. And the weather is just heating up in Coors Field anyway. So uh, this is a guy you want in your roster. You probably can't get him at this point. But Ryan McMahon is having a great season, and it certainly could continue.
0: After I read the column, uh, it was a a relatively short little snippet on Ryan McMahon, but it was interesting. So I went and dug in a little more at the player link pages at BaseballHQ.com. And 257 batting average currently is a career high. And he's full value for it. His .265 expected batting average is also a career high. So that's trending in the right direction. Uh, the underlying skills look pretty solid. I would like to see a few more walks, but you can't really argue. And he seems to have changed his approach at the plate to drive the ball more in the air and uh, line drives just for instance last year 50% ground ball rate the year before 51% this year 35 his line drive rate is up from 15 to 22 his fly ball rate has gone 28 35 43% over the last 3 years and boy Nick I don't know about you I think I do know about you actually because here's what I'm going to say is you like to have a guy who hits the ball hard and puts it in the air in Colorado
3: Absolutely and, and the interesting thing about McMahon is, is that he's also been hitting them all hard and putting it in the air in other places. So it's not just the Colorado profile at this point. Uh, he's showing some of that improved power uh, and, uh, and improved uh, contact rate outside of Colorado as well.
0: And finally, Nick, another column that we like to see at BaseballHQ.com is The Market Pulse. It's written by Brad Coleman, the former GM of the Cincinnati Reds. And this week, uh, every week in the Market Pulse column, he looks at how the market is treating players, are they enthusiastic. He calls them bull markets. Are they being dropped a lot? That's bear markets. And uh, in this week's column, one of the players he looked at in the bull market section is a player who's been widely talked about. I listen to a lot of fantasy baseball podcasts and I read a lot of fantasy baseball content and everybody's talking about Patrick Wisdom. Of course, I like to think of myself as dispensing a little Patrick Wisdom here from time to time. But what does Brad Coleman say about the wisdom of picking up Patrick Wisdom?
3: Absolutely, Patrick Wisdom has taken things by storm as he's come up to the majors. Fifty-nine at-bats at this point, nine home runs, thirteen RBIs, 322 batting average. This looks really good, doesn't it? But take a look at the last week: three hits and 15 at-bats, just one home run, one RBI. So uh, is Patrick Wisdom cooling down? Uh, you know, Brad Coleman says to take a look under the hood at this point, and what you see is an engine that's close to burning out. Over his first 16 Major League games this season. He was riding an inflated 59% fly ball rate, 50% home run per fly rate, 42% hit rate, but below that was a 61% contact rate, which has actually dropped to 50% in the past week. Uh, of course, anything's possible, especially in this time of uh, major league off major offseason adjustments, but strong odds really favor wisdom from fading wisdom from here on out, especially in the shallower formats. He might have some additional value in deep formats, but if you can get some, if I if, if I've been able to pick Packer Wisdom up on the waiver wire, I'd be looking for a trade partner right now because right now the numbers look very good. They may not look as good in two weeks once he gets more at bats at a three hit hits out of fifteen at bats rate and a fifty percent uh, contact rate.
0: Interestingly enough, the baseball HQ projections engine has Patrick Wisdom being a minus two dollar player for the balance of the season with a 189 and that has to do with that sub 60 percent contact rate you mentioned it's actually around 59 percent so far this year and that's what we're projecting for the balance of the year and once you get that hit rate down from the 40 percent area down to the 20 percent area or 30 percent area even uh, all of a sudden that batting average craters because he's just not putting the ball in play often enough.
3: Yeah, absolutely. That's what that's what we're looking at. If you look at the uh, at, at the uh, call-ups analysis at the time we came up, the rating was a 4B, a 4B. Now, I don't look at much a guy, guy much below a seven. So, you know, this this is guys 29 years old. He's not likely to have a gigantic breakout uh, any better than what we've seen. And I think the fade is already underway.
0: Yeah, a four, B. Uh, I think a seven is kind of a, the kind of regular player that you want to have. Six is a marginal kind of platoonish utility guy. Five is a kind of up and down four, yeah. uh, a, yeah. f- a four-level prospect. I mean, it's it could happen for this guy. You know, every so often we see a, a ball player who comes into the major leagues with very little pedigree and very little to recommend him and all of a sudden just goes off and has a career. But gosh, I can't think of one off the top of my head, and I don't think this is it either.
3: I think you're absolutely right. So if I had Patrick Wisdom right now, I'd be trying very aggressively to trade him.
0: All right, Nick, thanks very much for helping us out with the National League news this week, and we'll catch up with you again uh, next Friday.
3: All right, thank you, Patrick.
0: Harold Nichols is a pitcher matchups analyst at BaseballHQ.com and covers the National League for us here at Baseball HQ Radio. Over we go to the American League and BaseballHQ.com columnist and co-general manager, Ray Murphy. Ray, welcome back to the show.
4: Happy to be here, PD.
0: We start this week's American League coverage with two really terrible items about starting pitchers. First, in Cleveland, the team announced that reigning Cy Young pitcher Shane Bieber won't be allowed to pick up a baseball for two weeks. He's got a shoulder strain, and uh, I guess it's pretty unclear when he's going to return. Uh, Tom Kephart on the story for playing time today at BaseballHQ.com. So what do we know, and how can we manage it?
4: Yeah, I don't think we know much than what he just summarized there as you know, it's going to be a wait-and-see situation while we anxiously wait for the uh, two-week cooling down period for his shoulder. As far as how to manage it, I mean, you don't, you don't manage the loss of Shane Bieber on your team. It's uh, it, it's a lightning bolt. Uh, you know, obviously, no league has a waiver wire where there's a quality re- equivalent replacement for the reigning AL Cy Young Award winner and, you know, top-earning starting pitcher from last year who's been, you know, Plenty good this year, too. And, you know, the other aspect of it is that this is, as much as you can say for any pitcher, it's unexpected. Uh, Bieber, I don't believe, has been on the DL in his career. Uh, You know, through 214 innings in 19, uh, pretty sure he led MLB in the short season last year with 77 innings in the 60-game season. That already popped off another 91 this year. So that's, uh, you know, pushing 350-plus 375 innings over the last, uh, you know, since the start of 2019, uh, you know, maybe there's a workload issue there, but, you know, if there was a guy who you thought on your roster could take the ball every fifth day and maybe you targeted him back in March because of that, uh, you know, that play did not work out well, but it was not, you know, it was, it would have been reasonable to expect that in the context of, you know, pitchers, get any pitcher can get hurt. I guess this is just a reminder of that.
0: That's right. Uh, Bieber was uh, well into the $30 value last year, I think just hovering around 20 according to Baseball HQ's uh, valuations this year. But it's still a blow. And uh, I wonder, Ray, if you think in a situation like this, maybe if you're – Uh, have Bieber on your roster, you could look for a trade if you happen to be in a keeper or dynasty league where somebody might be more willing to look at the long-term value to give you some short-term value back, especially if you're sort of in contention for a pennant because uh, if uh, there's anything wrong with Bieber in the long term, at least as far as this season is concerned, that's a dead spot for you now, and maybe now's the time to strike while the iron could be at least lukewarm.
4: Yeah, that's, that seems to me like it's one of two possible paths. You you know, if there's a if there's a trade partner out there who's looking toward next year and thinks that, uh, you know, this injury certainly indicate there's nothing that indicates it should hamper beeper into 2022. So if they want to give you a you know 70 cents on the dollar return for him now and give you what you think is enough to uh, you know hold, hold your pitching rotation together for this year. That seems entirely reasonable. You know, the other side of this, though, that I'm remind- that comes to mind is you could just wait for the two weeks and you know, sort of cross your fingers and hope hope for the best. That's not a uh, you know, that, that's not because I have any particular insight about this, but you know, sometimes these things happen that you know, the the news will we will get more news about this and it could be better or it could be worse. I'm reminded of the Fernando Tatis shoulder injury back in April, where you know the initial reaction was. Oh, he could need surgery and be out for the year. And the worst case scenario is that—I mean, the, the best case scenario is that this is just going to hamper him for the rest of the year. And obviously, he's not going to be from, be as productive with you know with a re- repeatedly separated shoulder. And guess what? Tatis has looked just fine since he came back off the DL for ten day, for yeah. ten days. So, yeah, um, so you know, a <laughs> <laughs> pitcher's pitch, pitch shoulder is a very different thing. I'm not equating the two of them in terms of the particulars of the shoulder injury, but just that. You know, as we get more news, it could get worse or it could get better. So if you can't find a trade partner or if you if you really need to contend with what you really need is a vintage beeper to come back and be lights out and you can't find somebody else who's going to give you that version of Shane beeper in a trade, then your best play may very well be to sit tight and just hope that the, uh, you know, the, the high end outcome is what comes out here. I
0: was thinking of making a pitch for a guy like Carlos Rodon, who's uh, having an even better year than Shane Bieber is. But a lot of uh, people who have uh, Rodon on their ros- on their rosters might be inclined to think that this is a good time to sell high and and maybe catch sure. uh, catch you at what what they, what they think is a weak point. So. Don't be afraid to make those kind of offers, but yeah, the uh, the danger with the wait two weeks and see is that you wait two weeks and find out
4: he's gone for the year.
0: And sure, his not, value
4: could go down just as much as anything.
0: That's right. Although it would still, depending on what the diagnosis was, he could still have long-term value in dynasty formats or even keeper formats with a couple of years left if he happens to have a couple of years left on his uh, fantasy contract. Still some future value there, but I think the payoff would be considerably lower, but not nothing. Uh, Tampa, speaking of bad news in the injury front, has put Tyler Glasnow, their Cy Young contender, this year on the 10-day with a right elbow sprain. You don't like to hear those words. This happened on Tuesday. They recalled Michael Brasseau from AAA. Chris Olsen covers the story for playing time today. Uh, Glasnow, $27 in 5x5 by Baseball HQ Valuation Ray. Really bad news for Tampa. Really bad news for fantasy managers. So what happens in that Tampa rotation now that they've lost their best pitcher?
4: Yeah, like you said, it's probably going to be uh, you know, a rotating cast to fill in for him. We Names we've seen already this year, you know, ro- shuffling in and out of that rotation, sometimes in opener roles. And you're looking at Louis Patino and... Uh, you know, Chris Archer may be back sometime in the next few weeks. There's Michael Waka who's kind of shuffled in and out of this role too. You know, so the, we're going to see a few of them. And the, the bad news here is that we may see all of them before we see Glass now again, because that, you know, that that forearm sprain has now been, I think, clarified to a partial UCL tear that he's going to rehab or try to rehab. And I think that is, is as is a much a timing thing as anything because. You know, if he has Tommy John now, he's out for all at 22 anyway. If he has Tommy John in August or September, he's out for all at 22 anyway. So it probably, you know, there's probably no time lost to attempting to rehab here. Um, but you know, the, the but the news is very bad. It you know, going it's every bit as bad as the Bieber news. You know, worse in the sense of the possible long-term impact that the Bieber injury doesn't seem to have right now. Um, it's you know, Glass now has not been the paragon of health that beaver has been so it may be a little less surprising in that sense but that's splitting hairs these are you know these are two thunderclaps to people who uh roster glass now and beaver here
0: how about the pitching prospect shane baz he's just got promoted from double a to triple a he had a 248 era in double a through seven starts he's at 225 for one start in durham at triple a is there any chance we see shane baz a little earlier than we might have expected
4: yeah, it's interesting. Uh, Tampa sort of has this reputation for being super cautious with their prospects, right, and advancing them pretty care- carefully. But uh, you know, this may be a case where uh, big league need you know sort of uh, causes them to reevaluate that uh, that that stance. It's uh, you know, like we, rot- we we rattled off a lot of names here, so there, there there are plenty plenty of reinforcements and plenty of places they could turn. But you would think that eventually Baz becomes an option, if not immediately. Of course, there's also, you know, as we get into late June and into July here, there's also the trade market. So we have to stand back and watch what the Rays do in that regard too. So they they have a they have a lot of levers they can pull, uh, both internally and externally. But you know, bad should certainly be in the conversation.
0: But I think the one lever they probably aren't going to be able to pull, just to, based on what you've told us, is the lever that says Tyler Glasnow goes back to the mound this year.
4: I. It, it, we can't completely rule it out only because they're not completely ruling it out but yeah i i don't i don't think we i don't think we or they can actually count on that for sure
0: one of the season's nice stories has been the resurgence of Kansas City Royals outfielder Andrew Benintendi having a good year batting third in the lineup really producing well but he's been placed on the IL with a broken rib so that'll stop for the time being Kansas City also brought back outfielder edward olivares so it's one of the guys we talk about every week here on baseball hq radio it seems jock thompson for playing time today so what's the story here
4: yeah i think we need a sponsor for our weekly edward olivares update right
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're the general manager go sell it
4: <laughs> <laughs> i'll go work on that but yeah this might this may actually be the uh you know the, the quote the, this rib injury to Benintendi may be the quote unquote break that Olivares has been waiting for. See what I did there? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, we, we we when we've talked about him before, we talked about him you know, coming up and down a couple of times, and you know he was raking in AAA this year, and we were anxious to see whether that could carry over. And you know when he got called up and got four at bats this time, seven at bats that time, uh, we didn't learn anything, of course. But uh, you know, with Ben and Teddy being out for you know, probably an extended period here, as you say, uh, this is probably the opportunity for Oliveras to actually get, you know, double digit at bats in a week and for a few weeks in a row and see what he uh see what he can deliver there. To that end, our playing time projection has been updated and he's now projected for 50% playing time for the rest of the season in the Kansas City outfield. And we would expect that to be Concentrated here at the front end until Benintendi gets back. That's probably 70 to 80% now and then something less than that when Benintendi returns, depending, of course, on whether Olivares earns his right to stay while Benintendi is out. So he is officially, you know, this is our probably fourth time talking about him, but he is officially a short-term opportunity now.
0: On the positive side, KC also activated shortstop Adalberto Mondesi from the 10-day IL, where he had been uh, struggling with a hamstring issue. I guess we could say uh, Jock Thompson again uh, here. Mondesi steps right back into the lineup, of course. But what should we expect?
4: Yeah, we 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 hope to see him running, but of course, coming back from a hamstring injury, that's no no assured thing. He's uh, he's only got 29 at-bats on the season after sitting out uh, you know, much of April and into may for the uh you know for for another leg injury as i remember so we will see how quickly they uh unshackle him and let him run, run on the bases so uh you know his owners are starved for stolen bases at this point so we'll see how quickly they get flowing.
0: I saw in his first game back, Ray, he batted fifth in the order, which is not usually where you put somebody you're expecting to run a lot. And I wonder if they're just going to be super cautious because they need his bat in the lineup in the longer term, and they might think if he runs around out there that, you know, recurring leg trouble and stolen bases don't usually mix.
4: Yeah, I think that's certainly a risk, and I I, I did I did note that batting average pla- excuse me, batting order placement, and wonder what kind of wondered the same thing whether they're going to ask him to sort of take on a different role here or be a middle-of-the-order bat and worry less about running. And, you know, he's got three home runs of 29 at 29 at-bats. So that's not why any of his owners bought him. But, uh, you know, there, there's a chance he can return at least a little value if he's uh, if the running game is tamped down. But, obviously, uh, anybody who rostered him rostered him for the hopes of 40-plus stolen bases and uh, even a half-season per rated total of those. Forty stolen bases is is looking pretty dicey right now, given uh, the two injuries and the, uh, the, the the lack of clarity as to whether he's going to get a green light.
0: More good news, bad news going on in Minnesota. Let's start with the good news. They reinstated utility infielder outfielder Luis Arise. Rick Green got on the story for playing time today. What do we expect from Arise now that he's back on the roster?
4: Yeah, so he comes back in and you know, provides uh, th- this is one of a wave of moves that uh, should start to get the Twins healthy here. They're obviously way under 500 and could use all the reinforcements they can get. Uh, Arias has played second, third, and left field this year. He's got at least 10 games at each of those, so he's on track for multi-position eligibility going forward, which is kind of cool. Uh, but you know, I would expect him to jump into those places. I think Josh Donaldson, uh, left the game with something last night that I don't know if it's minor or not. So third base might be his initial spot, uh, but he could also get into the outfield at least for the next couple of days until we get finally get Byron Buxton activated, and then he'll go back to you know floating around the diamond, which is what he was doing back in April when this team was healthy. So uh, you know that's bad bad news probably for Nick Gordon who may and who may return to the minors and JT Riddle who may also get bumped off the roster here at least uh, depending on what happens with Donaldson.
0: Donaldson, you mentioned, taken out of a game this week with a recurrence of his calf problems, so that's a story that's kind of floating there waiting for some clarification. Meanwhile, though, the Twins got some welcome pitching news. Right-hander Kenta Maeda was activated after missing about three weeks with a groin strain. It hasn't been a banner year for Maeda so far. We were expecting a lot coming out of a really solid 2020 short season. He was going in like the third round in a lot of drafts that I was in. Uh, what should we expect from Kent Maeda now that he's back in the lineup?
4: Yeah, the the first start was pretty decent coming back off the DL. Uh, he had gave up one run in four innings through 76 pitches, struck out seven, got 13 swinging strikes. That's sort of all good news. His velocity was still down. His fastball velocity was 90 in that game, uh, which is about where it was sitting before he went on the DL, but is still a good tick, tick and a half down from the 91 and a half, 92 that he was throwing in 2019 and 2020 when he was, uh, you know, especially in 2020 when he was so good. So, you know, it doesn't look like he was all the way back yet, but you know, that was a, that outing was a better result than we saw before he got, went on the DL. You know, he was in particular, there were, uh, there there were some home run problems in there and the, uh, you know, the pinpoint control seemed to have been missing three walks and four innings still indicates that that's uh you know that's a problem, but that could be you know rust as much as anything. We'll see how he bounces back. Uh, but I would expect for the short term to be for him to be can't handled carefully. He hasn't thrown, you know, he's never a you know 110 pitch guy. He hasn't thrown more than 94 in any start this year. And but that 76 in his first outing may be the norm for a little while. I would imagine he's going to be uh, settling in the 80s, and as they try to ramp him back up here.
0: And I wonder if that groin strain actually occurred early it wasn't considered serious enough that he needed to miss time and he kept trying to pitch his way through it as they say and some athletes really want to do that they don't want to leave the field and I just wonder if it got progressively worse and was the reason for the five plus ERA and the 1.4 whip or whatever it was so far this season and that maybe what he should have done was taken the time off earlier in the season that now he's going to take now that he's taken a little later in the season, maybe he he could round back into maybe not twenty twenty form, but something better than current twenty twenty one form.
4: Yeah, there is a lot of room between what he was and what he has been this year, and what he was in the past. So there's uh you know there there's certainly a r- room to regress back toward last year's level. Um, as you know it. It does seem like he was sort of not himself right from the start of the season. So your theory that he was sort of battling or trying to manage something that just eventually got away from him is, you know, quite quite plausible. You know, the other thing that comes to mind is that as good as he was last year, they all came in, you know, the season started in July, which is a different thing than pitching in Minnesota in April, right? Yeah. And then they all came in as a sixty game season knowing that it was kind of an air and out every night kind of situation. And Maia, who's always been sort of workload managed and, you know, handled like an expensive race car, uh, you you know, is in some sense kind of set up for that. Um, And he thrived in that environment. But, you know, coming back this year facing 162 may have been a different thing. And it may be just that he's not – you know he's not set up for that, and you know he's got a career high in innings. You know, 2016 he threw 176 innings in his first season over here, but since then he's never thrown more than 154. So, point being, you know, now that he's coming back and it's summer, and you know this this restart for him off the DL looks a lot more like the restart from last season. So sure, I can sign on to what you're saying and saying maybe he can find a, a two month run here if he's actually healthy. That looks like last summer did.
0: Maeda's next couple of starts, I looked ahead uh, Sunday against Texas, then next week against Cleveland, so you couldn't actually ask for a better time to reactivate Kenta Maeda on your own roster if that's the situation you have. Uh, on the bed, bad news side in Minnesota, Maeda enters stage right. Right-hander Michael Pineda exits stage left. He goes to the 10-day IL, right elbow inflammation. Uh-oh, uh, Rick Green for playing time today. What's the message here?
4: Yeah, the dreaded right elbow inflammation. Yeah. Uh- you know, Matt Cedarholm in our big hurt file said, uh, best case scenario, it's just a muscle strain, but there are several other possible outcomes. And he didn't expressly say this, but I think these several other p- possible outcomes are worse. So, yeah.
2: uh,
4: you know, he, 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 sw- he swagged this as, uh, you know, kind of splitting the difference, said, you know, why don't we assume the all-star break? But uh, I, I think there's uh, – that's written I, – I, the all-star break is a possible return, but that's uh, written in pencil at this point.
0: If Pineda doesn't return, I guess Randy Dobnak might be in line for starts, and that's not particularly good news for the Twins or his owners. Uh, Randy Dobnak's been terrible this year, so my advice is to tre- tread warily, maybe stream. I don't even know if streaming works for Dobnak. Frankly, he's been awful. Uh, Rick Green also reports that Minnesota put outfielder Rob Refsnyder on the IL with a left hamstring strain. I would have thought it was something to do with running into that fence. <laughs> but it, uh, just, a, just another hamstring strain. What's the impact on the roster there
4: yeah the uh it's it's tough when you crash into the fence and pull a hamstring on the way that's uh that that, that, that's a tough outcome right
0: (laughs) adding insult to injury or adding injury to injury i guess
4: adding injury on top of injury exactly so uh you know that that probably is not super impactful there it might mean that i guess trevor Larnack might stick around uh even after brian buxton gets uh get, get gets activated uh, any day now. So that's probably the, uh, the the ripple effect there.
0: Boston recalled infielder Michael Chavis from AAA on Monday. Chris Olson covered the story for playing time today. The reason I ask her is I have Michael Chavis on my reserve, and I wonder what I should be expecting, if anything.
4: Yeah, I don't think much. Uh, Travis got called up, but hasn't started either of the two games. Um, I think he's going to be used sparingly. Uh, you know, primarily pr- as I'm, I'm imagining a, uh, you know, bad side platoon guy. Uh, you know, maybe some first base, maybe some left field, um, maybe some second base. Uh, you know, they also added him, I think, for flexibility because they were in the NL park for a, in, in Atlanta for a couple of days, and we needed another pinch hitter or a guy who could double switch around that sort of thing. Um, I don't think he's going to be around for long. And really, what's happening is, you know, Christian Arroyo is kind of claiming that second base job that's been a revolving door in Boston, which you know has ripple effects, none of which are good for Chavez because it pushes, uh you know, it, it frees up a bat for Kiki Hernandez and Marwin Gonzalez in the outfield, and you know, Bobby Dalbec is still struggling at first base, but that's one more place that they, uh, you know, but but that's one less spot where Chavez can carve out a, uh, you, you know. A, a, semi-regular stint of at-bats so uh, I I think the outlook for him is pretty pessimistic right now
0: I heard his name bandied around in trade rumors, Uh, anything to that?
4: If anybody's offering more than a bag of balls, I think the Red Sox will probably jump on it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, In Texas, we reported uh, on a previous show that Ian Kennedy was going to the IL, and you said at the time that we expected his stay on the IL to be short. It certainly was. He was activated this week. Rod Trusdell covers Texas for playing time today. Uh, I assume Ian Kennedy goes right back to collecting what few saves Texas will generate?
4: Yeah, I think that's right. We didn't even get a heck of a lot of clarity as to who might have been the closer for those ten days while Kennedy was out because the the need didn't really arise. It might have been uh, Josh Spores, but we you know we we got less than full information about that. But yeah, this is Kennedy's job again. Uh, to your point from the earlier conversation, at least until he gets traded, which is uh, certainly still a possibility here. So he's got another you know anywhere from month to six weeks until the trade deadline to uh, rack up saves in Texas as much as you can rack up saves in Texas before he uh he probably lands somewhere else in July and we'll see whether he lands in a closer role or a setup role which obviously and and in which league he winds up in all of which will be of critical importance to his current owners.
0: I thought the more interesting story that Rod Trusdell covered in this same item was that the Texas option left-hander Hyun Jong-yang to AAA and uh, Rod Trusdell only mentioned it I don't think uh, Yang was a fixture on too many fantasy rosters, as it was, but uh, but Rod mentioned this could be good news for Colby Allard.
4: Yeah, I think I touted Allard here, you know, a month or so ago. It's one of the th- things that one of the few things I got right this year, and that he uh, he jumped into sort of the multi inning reliever role or to start the season and was kind of thriving there. Had a couple of really good outings, and you know, then given the attrition in the rotation with here with yang and with uh Arihara and all of the uh revolving door the rangers have had they eventually you know because he was semi-stretched out i think they've bumped him into the rotation the results haven't been bad uh you know he's he's had three starts now and they've been short because he's still stretching out he finally got to 90 pitches in his last start but across three starts and 14 innings he's got three walks and 14 strikeouts uh that'll play so you know this this may be the turning into an. uh an opportunity for him as he graduates from that, uh, you know, multi-inning reliever role into, uh, you know, to spend some time in the rotation here. It's hard to, it's hard to believe looking at his player profile. I feel like we've been talking about him as a prospect forever, but he's still only 23.
0: Yeah. He's been around for a long time. You know, I was surprised when I saw that as well.
4: Yeah. So, you know, he's still a work in progress and, uh, you know, looking at his skills, you know, combined across the two roles this year, he's got a, 2.91 ERA would expect the ERA of almost to run higher than that, so that's pretty pretty average for this day and age. You know, an ERA x ERA of 3.81, but he's uh, you know he's striking out uh, you know more, more than a batter per inning. His strikeout rate is 27% against a 6% walk rate. So for a starting pitcher, that you know the simple math of that K minus BB percentage there of uh, of 20% is, is plenty good. He's got a swing strike rate of uh, over 11. You know these skills play it's not a huge velocity profile his fastball velocity is only 91.8 but he's uh he's clearly fooling some people and generating some strikeout numbers so we'll have to see how much of this holds as he gets into a pitch count range where he can fit he can face orders for a second and third time.
0: Yeah, I think that's going to be the thing. Uh, times through the order penalties uh, really do kick in for different pitchers at different times, and we just don't know with Colby Allard so far this year about that particular part of the angle. Uh, Detroit Tigers put left-hander Matt Boyd. Matt Boyd is having a pretty good year this year. He goes to the 10-day IL. They called it left-arm discomfort. I know it seems like what you get if you leaned on the on your car window a little too heavily while you were driving from. <laughs> boston to worcester or wherever it is you guys drive to uh tom kephart for playing time today boyd was pitching decently it's a blow for detroit it's a blow for anybody who spent a dollar or two at the auction on matt boyd thinking this was the year because it was starting to look like this was the year so what's tom kephart's take on this whole situation
4: yeah you know for lack of any other evidence you know what boyd had done right this year was stop giving up home runs at bunches and I don't know if that's a case of him doing anything different or him just uh, being one of the prime beneficiaries of the new baseball. But, uh, you know, he would have been, I guess, an interesting test case to watch uh, as the summer went on and all of these, uh, you know, ancillary changes are going on between, uh, you know, sticky stuff and who knows what ball we're using and all those sorts of questions. But, uh, you know, whatever uh, the changes have been made have been, uh, you know, Boyd seems like they've been a beneficiary of them. But, uh, for now it's Matt Manning time, which for, if you're a Tiger fan is much more exciting. Uh, I've, I've got some work to do just today to, uh, bump up his projection, uh, for, for Manning, we've got a, uh, projection for all of nine innings for the balance of the season, which looks, uh, like not enough. So I'll have to, uh, do, do some improvement on that, but we had him at about a four ERA and, a you know, whip of one twenty two, uh, base performance value of 84. So that's, that's pretty weak average for, uh, a pitcher just coming up for his uh, debut. Uh, we've talked before about the likes of Jackson Cower and Daniel Lynch and some of the lumps that minor league starters have been taking on their way up to the majors this year. Throw Logan Gilbert in there, too. So we will see if Manning adapts any better than those guys. That's, uh, that's certainly going to be something to watch for his first couple of starts here.
0: I seem to remember him having one start last year, maybe. I don't remember exactly, but it didn't go particularly well, and, and he went back to, to, to the minor leagues. If I'm thinking of the right guy, it's all hazy to me at my age. I barely remember what I had for breakfast. In Oakland, Ray, welcome news. Ramon Laureano returns to the outfield. Rod Trusdell covers the A's for playing time today. Is has some playing time here to be lost by several players, I should think.
4: Yeah, L'Oreano, we've got him projected for seventy-five percent playing time now as he comes off the DL. That's probably low. I would imagine we're just hedging for the first week or two as he comes back and maybe put maybe gets a few days off, et cetera. But the uh, there were four or five guys who were kind of filling this gap here. Mark Canna had moved over from the corner outfield to center field, and that had freed up a corner for Sky Bolt, went back to the minors now. That's the transaction, but the playing time had gone to Chad Pinder and Seth Brown and Stephen Piscotty and even Tony Kemp moving between second base and the outfield. So that group all loses some at-bats. I think Kemp may be okay because, like I said, he's been split, splitting time between second and the outfield. But after a really hot start, Jed Lowry's gone pretty cold at the plate. I wouldn't be surprised to see start to overtake lowry at second base and spend more time there lowry is one of those who may have gotten a reprieve from the Loriano injury but now uh the reckoning is coming
0: the brown piscotti platoon in right field has been working pretty well for oakland
4: yeah it has and that might you know that could stick in a fourth out, you know they, they, that could be the fourth outfielder now with uh Kana and Loriano as the two primaries, that Brown, Piscotty, you know, those guys, you know, do make a nice platoon. They both have pretty drastic platoon splits, so they, they, they can make that work, have Pinder be the, uh, you know, the, the quote-unquote fourth outfielder, and then let Kemp go back to second base is probably how I see this playing out. Could be bad news for Mitch Moreland, too, if he doesn't get the bat going, because uh, any of those guys can slide to DH.
0: Seems like every week I mention, I don't understand why more teams don't do the. Uh, you're old enough to remember maybe just barely the Lowenstein, Gary Reneke, platoon Absolutely. in Baltimore. Both of these guys hit opposite hand pitching really well and much better than they hit same hand pitching. So make two guys into one player and pinch hit where you have to. I think it's a great way to manage this thing. And of course, Oakland's usually pretty good about managing things. Uh, and finally, Ray, uh, bad news in Chicago, Nick Madrigal, who's having a good year at second base for the White Sox. He's going to be out for the year. Rick Green covers the White Sox for playing time today. What's the story with the Nick Madrigal and uh, who gets the playing time?
4: Yeah, just the third catastrophic injury to the you know, young core of the White Sox. And all you know, this one's kind of similar to the uh, the Robert one, but just a you know, just a catastrophic hamstring injury here. You know, he's he's undergoing surgery to repair multiple torn tendons. It's it sounds mm-hmm. like the worst hamstring injury you can possibly imagine. Yeah. Um. Just you know, I, I don't remember a you know a hamstring injury that happened in June. And you know, sometimes they might happen. You know, you might be out for a while, and then you rehab and you know, you pull it again or something like that, and it ends up being a long-term season-ending thing. But just to, you know, the, from from like the day after you pull it, be like, oh no, he's done for the year. It's like, whoa, what happened in there, you know? Um. So obviously really bad news. And in terms of the impact, this kind of dovetails with what we talked about last week when Adam Engel came back to the White Sox outfield and that he jumped into center field and freed up Lurie Garcia to kind of go back to the, swing utility role between second base shortstop the outfield he kind of played all over the diamond and well now he's needed at second base too we've got him projected right now in a 50 50 job share with danny mendick at second base and that leaves you know center field to angle more outfield time for andrew vaughn probably which ensures even more dh time for Urban mercedes even though he's been cooling off so the uh there's always the possibility of the white Sox going out and re- acquiring reinforcements here. Cause this is a good team and they have playoff aspirations and th- they could use some depth here, even while they're waiting for well, at least Robert, I guess is the only one of the three who might come might actually come back this year at this point. But, uh, I guess EOA e- 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 is, I-, I guess possible for September as well. Uh, so we'll have to wait and see on that. But if they want to, uh, continue to contend in the central. They may need some reinforcements here, but until some outside bodies come in, that's probably how it cascades here.
0: Michael Chavez trade. That's where I'm putting my There you go. (laughs) Uh, Eloy Jimenez was cleared to resume baseball-style activities. uh, I think it was on Tuesday or Wednesday of this week, and there's no timetable for his return, but it is a step in the right direction, and there's a a chance that uh, should the White Sox get into a pennant race in September, that maybe Eloy Jimenez will have... A little bit of an impact on it and certainly could be back in time for any kind of playoff run
4: yeah and you know they cl- cl- clearly there's room for him uh, given all of the cascading things we were talking about and you know they could even dh him if Yerman mercedes has uh you know cooled by september he's got you know there's a lot more runway for us to figure out who the real Yerman mercedes is but they could bring your they could bring eloy back and not even give him a glove
0: Well, a lot of news. We could have actually gone on with uh, other items, but I think we covered a lot of the most important stories this week. Ray, thanks a million, and we'll talk to you again next week.
4: Always a pleasure, PD.
0: Ray Murphy is a co-general manager and columnist at BaseballHQ.com and covers the American League for us here at Baseball HQ Radio. Next up, it's part two of our feature expert interview with Jeff Zimmerman from Rotograph's Baseball HQ on the Launch Angle podcast. Jeff Zimmerman coming back next on Baseball HQ Radio.
5: The me out with the crowd. Ooh, back me the game. Baseball HQ Radio.
0: <laughs> And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Time now for part two of our feature expert interview with Jeff Zimmerman from Rotographs, Baseball HQ, the Launch Angle podcast. Jeff, welcome back to the show. I'm
1: glad to stay around and, yeah, just continue going through the current baseball scene, fantasy baseball scene.
0: Jeff, I mentioned you write every so often for Baseball HQ, usually doing in-depth research work, and you have a research article – you're working on now that's going to update a previous study into how likely players are to be traded. And boy, could this be valuable if you figure this out. When did you first look at quantifying the likelihood of players being traded? Um, From the article sometime in
1: 2018, because um, that was kind of what it was written on, was I looked at um, MLB trade rumors, put out a list of most likely traded players And they did it for a couple of years. And what I did is um, looked at how likely that did they get traded. And um, so I wrote that up for the 2018 season and let the players, you know, show the chances and how often they were. And actually, it was fairly accurate on the percentages. Like they don't hit everyone, but if it was like, oh, there's a 50% chance, that's kind of what it did. So what I went through is updated those numbers or 2018 and 2019. I didn't go with last year with the the trade deadline. I just thought was just not the same situation. So I just kind of backed out of it, even though MLB Trade Rumors did put out a list of people that maybe traded. So they just put out their first list. They usually put one out in early June. So what I did is went and updated the numbers and then um, looked at some of the players this year that they have on their first list. They do one now, and they do one usually around the All-Star game. And what I found was the one now, the top 20 players, about half of them get traded. And then when it gets to the all-star game, they're pretty accurate. That first 10, those guys are pretty much on the move. And then there's about a 50% chance for the next 20 players from their rankings of 11 to, 20, 11 to 30. Those guys are, quite a few of them are on the move. So it's just one of those deals, if you look at it, you can um, have an idea of, where you can kind of find some values or where your team may lose some value.
0: It seems intuitive that identifying a player who's likely to be traded is generally positive for the player in fantasy terms because he's pretty likely to be leaving a poor team to go to a good one. How does that describe your view of these players insofar as their fantasy value? Um a lot of times it's the case, but other times if I had Adam Frazier,
1: which he was kind of a late round pick, I kind of liked him. I like him off the bench because he's got middle infield and outfield. And if I have injury, I can plug him in. I don't want to rely on him, but a lot of weeks by Friday, someone's hurt in like the NFC format and he's in my lineup. I think if he goes to a team, he may kind of fill that same role as be a bench bat. So I think it kind of depends on player per player. Like if they're a star, um, I, you know, there's just no way. But I kind of think like some of these players that are, good on their current team may go and be on the bench. Jonathan VR got traded last year and his fantasy value got killed when he went to the Jays, just wasn't playing all the time. And he was just kind of a bench bat. So you just need to kind of look at each player and see how they kind of fit into the, into possible teams. And I'd be just be kind of worried about like some of the players that may go and fill in as um, the utility player for their new team.
0: As a classic example, the top player on your trade list is Colorado right-handed starter John Gray. Is this just a situation where there's nowhere to go but up, both team and park-wise? Yeah, I, I mean, it, I, mean I mean, maybe he could go to like he could have been from Arizona,
1: like win-wise, but I mean that's about it. I think that John Gray could go somewhere. He hasn't. He's shown signs of being great. He's so kind of streaky and. It, I would like to see him get out of Colorado. I just don't trust what they do with any of their player development. And like, if he went to San Francisco, he'd probably be like Cy Young contender. I mean, the way they've been dealing with pitchers right now. So I'm really interested where he goes. And I think he's someone that you could maybe with like two weeks to go before the trade deadline or whenever, you know, he's got a couple of starts at home and everyone else doesn't want to start him, grab him then and just know that he may end up getting traded and um, add him that way.
0: You also noted something that we need to pay attention to. Sometimes the play on a likely-to-be-traded player is the effect on the roster he's leaving. And an example fairly high on that list is Seattle outfielder Mitch Haniger.
1: Yeah, and that's kind of – that situation, I say with the Mariners right now, is kind of all over the place because they've had some injuries too on how everything works out but they were just having too many outfielders and some of them were kind of hurting. I mean, is clinic going to be back? Is that going to fill one? Is Taylor Trammell going to kind of start hitting again? Um, they've got Kyle Lewis on the IL Jake Fraley's up there. So I think the one thing with like Mitch Hanager, depending on how everything goes, it might open up a nice spot. And if they haven't like called up clinic at that point, maybe it's time to grab clinic. If he's available on your waiver wire, add him, you know, before the trade deadline, and maybe that spot's going to open. So kind of look, see in those certain situations, which one, I thought that, that was one obvious one with the Mariners where they just kind of have a excess of outfielders and it could kind of just clear up some playing time situation.
0: On the pitching side the Detroit rotation could see some upheaval. Who would benefit from that? Um,
1: I think like Matt Manning, I think a lot of people have looked at his minor league stat or era and it's like in the eight but all of his other like x and stuff he's given up 3.1 home runs per nine and just in triple a i don't 100 percent trust those numbers it could be the parks there could be a lot of factors at i'm just looking at his strikeout and walk rates i he's 10 strikeouts per nine under three walks per nine i think he's one that could get the call pretty easily i i wouldn't worry so much about that um the ERA at this point, and especially like Detroit, like get him up and see what he can do in the big leagues. Um, as long as, like I said, they think there's nothing else for him to work on. I They have a lot of their pitchers that may end up going if Turnbill's healthy, if Boyd's healthy. Those are kind of two big ifs right now. I think that they can um, maybe be quite a bit of turmoil, and he's like an obvious add for them.
0: And, of course, it seems every year sees a big shuffle in relief pitchers with a lot of closers, especially moving to new teams. And, in fact, I think you allude to that situation in the article that places the likelihood historically at around 50%. But there's a two-prong issue here, Jeff, to my way of thinking. First, often the closer traded from a poor team ends up going to a contender, which already has a closer, one of the reasons they're contending. So the traded pitcher ends up in a setup role or really crushes his value, I think, of uh uh, there was a guy shane green a few years ago was pitching really well for detroit traded to atlanta and there goes all of his saves and uh, that happens a lot of the time how should fantasy managers play the closers who are on the trading block
1: yeah i think there's like two ways to go at it is if one thing you want to do is go through that list and see if you've got any of those guys like if it gets close to the trade deadline and um let's say the angels are out of it and Razio Iglesias is um, got a chance to be traded. Well, if you've got him, you can kind of look at the contending teams and um I'm not sure. I was trying to think if any of them really kind of need a closer. Maybe the Reds, you know, could use get him back It'd be a lockdown. Maybe he won't go there. But there's not a ton of contenders that really are in need of one, like you said. Um, sometimes there is one, you know, and you just have to hope you get that one. But you want to look at his backup like, OK, if you're going to lose one and the chances, you know, you're the one that's going to get it, you might as well just go ahead and grab that backup. And so if he gets traded, you have the closer and if he stays, you've got the closer. Other teams may maybe kind of doing that the same with their own guys Um, and maybe be less likely to pick up Myers because they don't know what's going to happen. You know, like, oh, they'll pick him up and if Glacier stays. He doesn't have anything. So. I think the key is just um, kind of just cover your hedges for those couple weeks.
0: The flip side is that even on a poor team, somebody has to get the few remaining saves that might get generated. Uh, For example, you have Razel Iglesias of the Angels as a 43% likelihood to be traded. So who's next in line in Los Angeles to pick up those saves? It looks like Mike Myers right now. He kind of was kind of a darling
1: before Iglesias got traded in the off-season, like I think a lot of people kind of picked him up um, to do that. I would just really kind of watch each situation as it gets a little bit closer because I don't. Bullpens are just kind of exhausting this year. <laughs> I was, I was like, there's a couple teams where I went a couple early closers and I have them, and they're just so nice, even though it's like I felt like I wasted picks on them. It's just like the amount of fab and the amount of energy I've had to spend on teams trying to improve the situations where I didn't get a couple of them. is just been too much. So um, yeah, just kind of, like I said, with, with each one of them, look to see who's um, the setup man before there was one year. It wasn't, I think it was two years ago. The, it was like all the setup men got traded. It was kind of weird. So watch kind of even watch those guys. Even adding your setup in, they may get traded and not have a job. But yeah, it's the whole bullpen situation. It just really becomes jumbled that um, those couple of weeks. So um, maybe coming into it, try to clear up some roster spots and see if you can. Um, if fantasy managers can just take some chances and hit the jackpot.
0: I was thinking when you said that that a setup guy moving from a bad team to a good one does generate one quite positive outcome, and that is if he's going to be used in the late innings, even if he's not closing, a good team tends to have more comebacks, tends to win more close games, more tied games, and that kind of stuff. So he might, even if he doesn't get you saves, might vulture you a few wins.
1: Yeah, and I was, God, I was the I think it was like when Zach Britton came over, he ended up getting some pretty good numbers too. Um, when he went over to the Yankees, and um, so yeah, I, I'm definitely not against it. And it's, I kind of like this time, and it's, I, I'm a little disappointed we don't have like the two trade deadlines that they used to have, and you can kind of take chances twice. So, um, I was, it was just an extra part to the game and just some more strategy, but we've got one trade, trade deadline coming up here, and we'll, um, See how everything ch- shakes out from it.
0: You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick David, with Jeff Zimmerman from Rotographs at Fangraphs. And Jeff, you recently wrote a column at the site about how to use platoon players on fantasy rosters. I thought this was interesting as well. You started by saying you usually just pass on platoon players, but your thinking has changed. What What's the cause of the change of th- thinking?
1: Um, the change became I just couldn't find anyone to play that wasn't in a platoon. And then I was like, well, if I'm having the problem, probably someone else is and someone else will find it helpful. So every week I was writing, going ahead and writing the lineups article. So while it took me some time the first time to kind of go through, set up the format, which I'm still kind of working on. Um, It was like, well, these are available. And like, it's actually already been helpful. This first week I've noticed like San Francisco had a bunch of games and they're big into platoons. They have a, um, they're facing um I got seven games, but they're facing six right-handers. And it's like, well, that's you get six games from anyone, that's probably pretty good. So I was looking at some of the right-handers on the, those sides of the platoon. And there's also the cases in like the NFBC where um you may have a guy that's injured for the first half of the week or he's you don't you're not for sure, you know, how much he's gonna play, is that you can go ahead and maybe if there's no one on available, you can get one of those guys that a righty that's faced in like three lefties early in the week, but no one else is after and just kind of plug him in for that partial week, get those points. And then whenever your guy comes back healthier, comes off the IL, you can um, move on from him then move to him and then just let the other guy go. And a lot of times for the reasons that I don't like, to do other, a lot of other people don't like platoon players and they really just come on the cheap. No one wants the hassle.
0: You established some set rules. You only want distinct left-right platoons. You want well-established roles, and you don't want any third hitters gumming up the works. And you said you're avoiding catcher platoons, just because catchers are catchers?
1: Now, well, a lot of times, um, even looking at some of the times, like, they'll be in a platoon, but they're not. Like They're not going to let a guy throw just because they're facing eight righties in a row. They're not going to let the catcher go that long. They're gonna, you know, mix the other guy in anyway. So it's like, usually, one guy's, you're kind of gonna, whoever is going up against the righty, he's just gonna have more time, but he's still not gonna have like that full stretch. It's just how the catchers work out. They're gonna need a break. So it's just one of those deals with the catchers, is why I was doing that. And I kind of wanted those established lefty righty ones so I could look at the lineups and see what's going on. Um, Right now, Oakland has a weird three player outfield, second base swap. And it's like, well, I don't know wh- who, when, who's going to take what. It's not like an obvious, like, you know, for up against a righty, this guy comes in and then I can look at the starters coming up. Just with so many more moving pieces, it's like, well, let me just limit it to the ones that I know are set. And then I can um, kind of make my decision from that. Like Oakland has a pretty good Seth Brown and Steven Piscotti are just in like a set platoon Brown faces the righties. Scotty faces the lefties. And um, I can just – I can work with that from right now. But um, if that changes, then, you know, if it's kind of a mixed up one, then I just don't know how many games I'm getting. And maybe it's just better to take Michael Taylor for the week and his poor production –
0: Michael Taylor keeps popping up I'm beginning to think you have something about Michael it's, Taylor going on <laughs> every time some like and speaking of bad Michael Taylor <laughs> oh, he's always on like every one of my waiver wires it's like
1: well he, I end up like putting him on my um ad list and it's like every week like did I get down to him or not you know it's like I need an outfielder and one of those times like they're hurt and you have to have someone and you you add, Everyone that's available, and it's like, oh, I just hope we don't get to Michael Taylor. But.
0: And, of course, platoons can really work, in, in especially in the major league level. Uh, Gary Renneke, remember, and John Lowenstein way back in the day for the Orioles? And that was a real hardcore, solid platoon. And uh, I think that, uh, overall, the the slot for them managed to hit uh, 320 or something like that with 45 home runs and 130 RBIs or something because Lowenstein couldn't hit uh right-handers and and Reneke couldn't hit left-handers, but boy, by gosh, when you put them in the right platoon situation, all of a sudden, boy, you, you really have something. Do you think that's something we need to be looking at, especially in 12-team leagues, where the fact of the platoon is going to drive down player value a little bit, but you'd rather have kind of a, a two-man slot filling one than one expensive outfielder in a dud? Yeah, I
1: think like... You could I, – I I think you have something there. I think that it really depends on, like, the depth of it. I don't know – definitely in, like, onlys, there's a good chance for it. I think that that can be um, one of those situations. The one thing that – um, like, with San Francisco, they've got that Austin Slater, which has, like, seven home runs and seven steals, which looks great. But he's only playing against lefties, and, like, this week he's facing one. so. There's just no reason to kind of roster. I mean, you could probably roster him, but hope he comes there. But if you're like in a daily moves league, it's great to kind of slot him in. But with just so many, my deal is with so few roster spots on some of my teams and trying to have as, um, especially like in the NFBC, it's like, well, I need this guy for this week. You know, which of these platoon guys are available and can I just slide him in? And kind of make it through. I know a lot of people kind of do that with like, oh, a guy's at Colorado. He's not that good. Like Jackie Bradley Jr. I saw got added a bunch. It's like, well, there's not a lot of desire for Jackie Bradley Jr., but he's playing most of the time and he's going to be have four games at Colorado. So it's like, all right, I'll use him for this week. I just know it's not going to be a long-term thing. And then I'm just going to drop him. I think that's what a lot of these platoons are.
0: And of course, nobody's saying that if you have a right-handed, uh, I mean, the left, left-handed left facing the right-handed platoon guy, you can't have a second guy who's also facing the right-handers and get like a player and a half in your two slots instead of a player and a dud, as I said before. So this is something I'm going to look at in uh, in uh, Tot Wars for next year, I think, uh, my AL only, because you know as you get later in the draft and the outfield spots have started to fill up and you're facing the possibility of maybe having to roster a guy who's not really going to play that much and there's a point at which i think jeff that the other guys in your league might be looking at the outfield player pool and saying i don't want the platoon guys yet you know because i I still want to get a guy who's playing full time and maybe if you get you know two 450 plate appearance guys you're a lot better off than getting a 600 and a 100 yeah
1: and the one thing i've I've, um liked with um and onlys, especially do that with catcher on the same team. Um, it's like if someone um, with Tampa Bay was one that was like, oh, my A-well only I was our um, shallower one with nine. I was like, I'm just going to get both of those guys. I like Zanino. And um, and it was just like, I'll just, I'm willing to tolerate him. And I was like, I'll just get both of those guys and go with it. So I think that that's one time you can do it. And the other thing is like, if you do auction or, it where you start getting the platoon guys is if you get the strong side, no one else is going to want that short side. So you can probably get them for like nothing or even put them on the bench and you can cycle them in and out that way, depending on the week also. So I think that's one thing that um, could definitely come to your advantage.
0: Something else that pops into my mind too is sometimes you don't want a guy who's, who's going up to the plate against left-handed pitching. You know, he piles up another hundred plate appearances or whatever, but Oftentimes he just doesn't hit them that well because of the platoon disadvantage, and and uh, you really kind of rather have him just hitting pitchers he can hit.
1: Yeah, Jock Peterson. I think they were going to try to give him and Schwarberg. It was kind of funny listening to that. Like, well, we're not going to platoon you, and like both teams are about to that point of platooning them. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's like, yeah, you really just can't hit it. Like the teams know more than that. And yeah, that's one thing I've always thought it was like. Well, they're not giving them a chance to platoon. And a lot of those cases, they gave them a chance with scouts for two, three, four years in the minors. And they're like, he can't do it. You know, they're just like, it, it's just not working. You know, he just can't hit it. And and they may even know, like, they over, not over scout it. Like, I can look in um, MILB.com and kind of see what they did. But they'll be like, yeah, this guy can't hit, you know, breaking balls from lefties at all this lefty can't it's like as long as they throw him a breaking ball he's done so they know like once he gets the majors he's done so I kind of trust the teams a little bit more when they start doing the platoons and other people. It's like, oh, they don't, haven't had a chance. And I was like, they probably have had a chance yeah. and failed at it for a while.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. Not many secrets uh, by the time they get to the big leagues, that's for sure. Uh, you set up the results of your research in a grid for application as part of the free agent waivers claims process in fantasy. When do you anticipate updating the grid? Uh, you said you wanted to f- fix it up visually. You don't like the look of it as it was and uh, as well as content. Um, the content- it's actually, I'm working on it right now. I'm going through the
1: lineups and it's um, some um, podcast I'm on is holding up my article right now. So um, <laughs> it'll, it'll be, um, A little it'll late. be out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's going to come out. Um, It'll be updated whenever I do my lineups. It was one of those times like I had to do it once and kind of go through it all and see how I wanted to do it. Visually. I haven't had time to kind of look at it. It's um, I kind of want to have like the notes section and it's just not, it's kind of making the, chart look kind of a little bit bad and a little less readable but for right now sadly i'm it's going to kind of that part's going to stay the same but it'll be updated um at least once a week and kind of keep an eye out and some of these change even since i've written it they've changed so you might have to if you're going to look at the platoon go back and make sure that they're still in it someone hasn't been hurt that's what most of the cases are is like there's a new
0: platoon or there's no longer one just because of players on and off the il also at Rotographs, Jeff, you recently posted an article looking at how starting pitchers do when they face the same opposition within a relatively short time span. And you started by asking two questions. What were the two questions?
1: Yeah, the one thing I wanted to see is if there was, like, do the pitch, how bad do the pitchers perform? How much worse are they? And then how long this kind of sticks around. So I kind of went and looked at, You know, the pitchers that faced the same team and how they performed in those two different starts from five games, six games and went all the way up to 120 or not 125, just 25 games and kind of noticed that stuff was just kind of spreading out. So that was kind of just when I stopped, it was like, you know, five starts away, four starts away. And um,
0: I didn't find as much as I thought I would. Your study used uh, those intervals you mentioned, and you compared median outcomes for ERA, strikeouts per nine, walks per nine, hits per nine, pitch count per game, and innings pitched, and an aggregated win percent amongst all of them. Where, if anywhere, did you find results the most compelling or intriguing? Um, It kind of
1: ended up being just with ERA. It was a quarter point, and it was just for that first start, anywhere from like five to nine like that next start was the only thing that really showed a large difference. It kind of dropped around there. I was kind of wondering if there was going to be like the win was going to be kind of a big deal. Like they had seen them. They were able to work the count. They just didn't go as long into games and it just didn't, wasn't there. Like I said, I kind of expected, yeah, the whole length of the game to be a lot shorter and it really wasn't. They just, they, the uh, input from the ERA, like ERA, they have to hit more or so forth. It was kind of across the board. They didn't strike out as many. They walked a few more. They gave up a few more hits. And all that ended up being like a quarter point ERA. And that
0: just kind of almost really kind of dissipated pretty quickly. I have to say I was a bit surprised because the, the first thing I thought of when I read the uh, premise of the article was, yeah, the hitters are learning the pitcher in a way that maybe gives them an advantage, but the pitcher is also learning the hitters in a certain way too. And he might remember, oh, you know, last time I started against these guys earlier this week, uh, I remember getting this guy out relatively easily with a slider away. I'll just, I'll just do that again. And uh, I don't, I don't know that that's the case because of course they have a lot of uh, that kind of research going into the first one. So it's not like they're going to be really surprised that all of a sudden the guy can't hit a slider away, but uh, It was a little bit surprising to me that there was an effect that you found. And I'm wondering, how do you think fantasy players can use the information from the study that you did? I think the biggest thing is
1: just kind of a tiebreaker. If you've got two pitchers and one has faced another team, um, a quarter point ERA, I guess, it's definitely going to add up during the year. But one of the problems I had with the study was it just doesn't happen that much. It's really you kind of have to have the right circumstances um, for the games to line up. And the sample size just started kind of decreasing pretty quickly or for each day. It was definitely like the biggest five days later, because that was our normal routine and that's how they were. But even like 10 days later, that one was half and stuff was starting to get spread out. So um, it was just something that I considered. And the deal was, is it, I don't even remember the pitcher. in, the picture that came up, I had it on one of my teams. It's like, oh, they just face stunt, and they, you know, they kind of didn't do so good. Is it gonna be worse? I'm like, I don't know. I have no clue. You know, do should I expect them to be worse? Should they be better? Kind of like you, like, oh, did you know they've seen the hitters, they made some adjustments you brought up, and it's like, maybe that's the way. I'm like, I just didn't know. So that was kind of the thing around the, the study. But the problem was that by the time I got around to the study, it was like a month after I remembered what the picture was. So I didn't write it down. So that was my own problem. I could have probably made one up, but made a better story out of it but i'll just go with the truth
0: yeah always go with the truth when you can absolutely Uh, i wonder if the the statistics are a little more available in the minors because now don't they have like six game series where they play six seven days in a row or six games in seven days type of thing to cut down on travel because of COVID?
1: yeah and and, um sounds like they're going to keep this from now on it's just like cut down on travel like mlb is just they're cheap and they're cheap. yeah. <laughs> but, but every week you're going to get that double up. That'll be kind of interesting to go back through. Um, if they keep pitchers on that same rotation that they're going to have that their Tuesday starter is going to be the same as the Sunday guy. And they usually travel on Mondays right now. That's going to change next year. But the way that's set up right now, um, I, I think that that's, that could be an interesting thing and seeing how they perform that way. Um, you're just going to have every week, you're going to have that same team, you know, kind of in the same situation and probably a lot of the same, you know, the same hitters. And, you know, you got 30 AAA teams and 20 weeks of data.
0: So 600 instances of it, like I said, might add up on the total quite a bit. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt, with Jeff Zimmerman from Fangraphs and Rotographs. And Jeff, I always like to wrap up these discussions looking at some slumps, pumps, dumps, and jumps. Uh, slumps are players struggling. Pumps are players worth selling high. Dumps are underachievers, and jumps are players we like. So let's start with a slump. This is a player who is struggling, but you think could be worth hanging on to while he breaks out of it. Yeah, this is one like I. I probably should have gotten someone that been more likely to drop,
1: but I just think Dej, DJ LeMahieu. As it heats up, I think he's one that could just definitely, um, just see his production sore he's really struggled this year his batting average hasn't been that high i think some people mentioned the ball for the home runs but i i he went off last year during the summer in yankee stadium i think that the summer needs to happen again like i'm, I'm just can't wait for these next three months to see what some of the home runs do because this is kind of the heat and we're going to be out of the cold weather i'm sure there'll be i think that's one thing that's we had with the crazy new ball that Everything's being talked about right now that it normally this is when offense really takes off is, you know, this June, July, August time frame. And we've got this other factor of removing the sticky stuff at the same time. So there could be a lot of masking going on on which one's actually the dominant factor. But I like, you know, like I said, I think Gigi Mayhew is one, someone that you could really buy on by low on.
0: On the flip side, how about a pump? This is a player who's overachieving. Maybe you can pump him up and sell him high while the selling's good. I'm I am going to go with Nick Castellanos. I think
1: that there he just he's having a great season. I'm not going to go against that. But man, right now that I, the four fourteen Babbitt, like if someone just sees him and like, oh, even if he has a three hundred average, and it's like, well, it may go down some, but I mean, he's got a 280 average. I think eventually that'll take hold. Um, he has possible changes to, you know, drop to strikeout rate some, but he's one that I just think that there's going to be some regression coming on the batting average side, just still kind of be more of the
0: power only guy that we've kind of been used to. And we should caution listeners that if you think Nick Castellanos is a 280 hitter, don't expect him to hit whatever low level he has to hit to bring his overall season level down to 280, it's more likely he's going to hit 280 the rest of the season. But just don't buy 357, I guess, is the point. And, and you can try to sell 357 if you can. Uh, how about a dump, yeah. an underachiever who's worth replacing? I cannot get behind Alec Baum right now.
1: It's just, He just seems lost at the plate. Um, It's like... And it's getting like worse from month to month. I always kind of like, oh, this player's you know, performing this way, and he... <sighs> Kind of showing a little bit of signs here in June, but it's it's just not there. And one of the biggest problems is he can't hit fastballs right now. And I think that that's – pitchers are throwing him more and more, and he's having problems with them. And I'm not going to be surprised if he even gets, like, demoted and has to go work on a few things. Like, they just don't want him on the team. So he's one that – I have in a few places, and he was one of those ones, like, I'd make, put a big investment in I'm trying to make the decision to cut and I'm holding right now, but it's tough. If like, the situation comes right, I, I don't think I'm going to have any kind of problems um, dropping him.
0: Quite a split to a like right-hander, left-hander. We talked about platoon guys earlier, but uh, not that good on either side. Uh, let's just say that. Uh, and uh, how about a jump hitter? This is a guy you think you're going to jump in on if you see him in your free agent pool or somebody's dangling him on the trade wire in your league. Um this is one that we brought up earlier. So I think there's a lot to like with Joey Votto. I like what the Reds are
1: doing. I, his change of swing where he decided just to crush the ball, stand up and not look like he's um going to the bathroom. Yeah. He used the stand-up stance and just his strikeout rate's gone up a little bit, but it's kind of like he's made up for it with hits. So he's just hitting the ball harder and some are going for home runs. So I think he's kind of a sneaky first base ad that he's available on the wire and sometimes there's just not a lot of options out there. So now he's one I, we'll, we'll see how the end of the year goes, but um, so far it's been pretty good. Like I said, I'm, he was just down so far. I think that no one is considering him any value and he may end up being like a top 12 first baseman of time. All
0: of a sudden done. I just know there's somebody out there listening who's going, wait a second, he can go to the bathroom standing up too. <laughs> yeah. <it's, laughs> did You should to the old stance,
1: dude. I,
2: I, I'm not, I, I,
0: yeah. I can't handle it. The wide stance going back to a news story from years ago. Uh, did you read the story about Joey Votto in the, the Athletic 10 days or so ago when they interviewed a bunch of people who've been around Joey Votto and what a, what a great guy he is to hang around with and kind of eccentric and stuff? Yeah, he, I, I do think he's like a great guy. Um, I'm
1: friend of us, you know, Saris loves him whenever he comes around. Like, you know, he's like driving all over California just to go talk to him. And um, but no, Joey Votto is like just outstanding person. It's just I, I, I think he needed to make the change a little bit earlier. I think he was like his body just wasn't able to do what it always had done and he just had to kind of adjust. I think, I think he was just a little bit stubborn. I think this move should have happened about a year or two earlier, and it's really kind of just helped him reinvigorate his career right now.
0: I wonder if players get a sense of themselves. You know, maybe Joey Votto looked at his career and, and his approach and thought, I'm a real solid 4'10 OBP guy. I score a lot of runs. I drive in a lot of runs. I'm a really effective player, and as that – part of his skill set slips away, it must sometimes be very difficult to let it go and adapt to what you can do rather than what you used to do.
1: Yeah. And I mean, he, it was just like for two seasons, he had 27 total home runs and he had more than that, like the three seasons before that right now. I mean, he, he's been out, so he won't probably hit it, but on like a six hundred. Pro rating it out, he's on pace for 32 home runs again. That would be close to a career high. He was on that pace last year. I just think, like, the changes he's made the last couple of years has put him in as a, like, being a pretty decent first baseman. I just wish a, a little bit of the batting average would come up a little bit, but that's fine. Like, he's not going to have the 400 OBPs anymore. Um, it's just kind of a different player, but I think it's more of a productive player.
0: And finally, how about a jump pitcher, a guy you'll target in your free agent pool or on the trade market? It's a guy that's been
1: making some changes, and I don't a hundred percent trust him because he's kind of been tinkering a lot. But it's frustrating. Um, the Jays are going to win a ton of games, and he just has to be average. Like, the, as long as he just goes out there and even allows like four, four two five ERA, that team's going to score more than four, you know, four or five you know score more than four runs to help him out so he's um found out that he was tipping his pitches and he's been working on that and he's kind of messed with his um pitch mix in season so he's one that i'm like i said keeping my eye on he's everyone's just going to stay away from his high era that he's supporting right now and um he's one guy that i like i said i've been targeting in certain places and um been in on my lists and like i said i Hopefully not didn't get too many people to jump on him by bringing him up.
0: Really had a nice increase in strikeouts and a decrease in walks from the short season last year to this season so far. And I think he's been a little bit unlucky on the ERA side. I think maybe a half a run or so compared to like his FIP in particular, his XERA. So he could come down half a run. It's still four and a half, but as you said, Toronto could easily score four and a half runs in most of his starts, and sometimes they'll do it in the first couple of innings because they can really hit. Uh, Jeff Zimmerman slump, uh, DJ LeMahieu of the Yankees, a pump, Nick Castellanos of Cincinnati. A dump Alec Bohm of Philadelphia, his jump hitter Joey Votto of Cincinnati, good Canadian guy, and finally a jump pitcher Ross Stripling of Toronto, a good Canadian team. Jeff, thanks a million for doing this. It was great fun. Remind us where our listeners can keep up with Jeff Zimmerman. Um, I'm on Twitter at Jeff W Zimmerman, and right now I'm just
1: mainly just contributing um, over at RotoGraphs, and um, every once in a while I'll um, contribute to you at Baseball HQ. And yeah, it's I it used to be a lot more. Um, I don't. It's just with the pandemic, kind of some baseball jobs dried up. So hopefully there's some more out there, but everything else is just going with whatever I can right now.
0: And we should re- uh, also remember to recommend the Launch Angle podcast that comes out pretty much every Monday, I believe. You and uh, Rob Silver, a frequent guest here at Baseball HQ Radio, and the host Van Lee. You guys do a terrific job there as well.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, it's <laughs> it's always aimed for Monday, and then we move back as real life moves each of the three of us back. So, it, like I said, it's everyone's like, oh, it comes out Tuesday, like ah, it's supposed to come out Monday, <laughs> and it's like sometimes it's brought up that way, and sometimes it ends up being Thursday. Just we always aim for Monday because there for a while we were doing it later in the week, and just like one little hiccup, and we're you know pushed back. We're not getting it done. So yeah, we always just try to aim for Monday, and if it doesn't happen, usually by end of the week it gets done.
0: Well, Jeff, as I said, I'm glad you could find the time for this week here at Baseball HQ Radio. It was a very entertaining and informative session. I'm glad to have you. I hope I can talk to you again during the season and uh, stay in touch. Uh, I will. Thanks a lot for having me. Jeff Zimmerman appears at Rotograph's Baseball HQ and the Launch Angle podcast. We'll take another quick break here, and then we're back with our Baseball HQ commentaries, the frequent flyer, and extra innings, coming up next on Baseball HQ Radio.
2: Ernie Shore was the perfect one, when Babe Ruth, he got the thumb, for a price they sent him down to old New York. Things went bad till Cronin came, 46, they won again. The Sox had Tex and Pesky, team with Bobby Doerr, I'm talking baseball, Wes Farrell and Doc Kramer, Boston baseball, scientists, the Hall of Famers, Dominic Parnell and Jimmy Fox, the Thumper just waiting in the box, talking baseball, baseball and the Sox there were triple crowns and mvps he hit the ball with grace and ease teddy was as splendid as they come then Yastrzemski got the call in 67 he did it all and the pennant was flying high before his work was done i'm talking baseball jackie jensen reggie Pearsall, boston baseball runnels rico and don schwall tony c the monster ike the lock Lon Borg and the strange glove of the dock. We're talking baseball. Baseball and the socks. Talking baseball in New England. A Gannis and Smokey Joe. Stevens, three hits in one inning. Carlton Fisk and Freddie Lynn. Please come to Boston in the spring. It's a beautiful thing.
1: HQ radio
0: hey welcome back to baseball HQ radio PD here time now for our regular commentaries my extra innings comment is coming right up and leading off it's the frequent flyer a commentary on players who might be available in your free agent pool and who have the potential to get enough playing time and production to make them worth giving a spot on your roster. Here with a look at Minnesota catcher Ryan Jeffers, his baseball HQ analyst, Alex Becky.
5: Let's face it, when it comes to hitting adjustments, you really have to hand it to surging 24-year-old Minnesota Twins catcher Ryan Jeffers. Literally, we'll explain. According to a June 16, 2021 article by MLB.com's Daniel Guerrero, the difference for Ryan Jeffers at the plate has been the change to his swing. Ryan Jeffers is normally fished with a two-handed swing, but while with AAA St. Paul, he worked on a one-handed finish that has led to more power at the plate. In the article, Ryan Jeffers was quoted as saying, All my best swings, all of my home runs since I've been up, have been with that one-handed finish. Take note of that. Ryan Jeffers even suggested that the one-handed change is the icing on top that pushes a swing over the edge. Perhaps a more technical explanation might be that releasing the top hand may provide the lead arm with greater extension on follow-through and thus more power. Think Ken Griffey Jr. Just don't compare Ryan Jeffers, or perhaps anyone else for that matter, to Ken Griffey Jr. We're not. That's why 24-year-old Minnesota Twins catcher Ryan Jeffers, like all of our frequent flyers, should be considered to be a long shot, who may be worth a flyer if he is still available in your league. Even so, since being recalled from AAA on June 2nd, just over two weeks ago, Ryan Jeffers, batting two hundred eighty two in June, has already launched four June home runs for the Twins. Wow, not bad production. A career 286 hitter in the Miners, Ryan Jeffers debuted in 2020, batting 273 with three home runs for the Twins in 26 games. Digging Deeper, something we love to do at BaseballHQ.com. Ryan Jeffers' 286 batting average on Balls in Play, or Babbitt, not to be confused with his identical 286 career batting average in the Miners suggests that Ryan Jeffers, through his first 73 at-bats or 77 plate appearances for the Twins, has been unlucky in 2021, perhaps creating a buying opportunity for your team. In other words, Ryan Jeffers' current 286 Babbitt, batting average on balls in play, when compared to his 364 Babbitt in 2020 and his career 333 Babbitt in the minors, suggests that Ryan Jeffers' overall batting average may improve significantly this season as his luck changes. Plus, 24-year-old Minnesota Twins catcher Ryan Jeffers possesses uncommon plate discipline for a young bat and top-grade exit velocity, according to Baseball HQ's 2021 baseball forecaster, concluding that we'll buy a ticket for the feature film. And you should, too, as our frequent flyer for this week, popcorn not included. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Alex Becky of BaseballHQ.com.
0: Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky has this frequent flyer commentary here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. Now it's time for extra innings, my comment on baseball and fantasy baseball, and this week I'd like to give you a little year-to-date hitter value quiz. I was looking at the year-to-date hitting stats at BaseballHQ.com and I thought I'd raise some of the oddities and interesting factoids I noticed among the top 210 5x5 mixed league hitters. And just so you know, I asked the Baseball HQ custom draft guide to calibrate the values right down to the penny to avoid ties. The highest value this year so far, Ronald Acuna at $33.75 and the lowest, Michael Franco at $3.84. I'll be posing these questions for you to test your fantasy baseball acumen or your interest in trivial numbers. Take your pick. Okay, here goes. Which team has the most hitters in the top 210? The answer, the Los Angeles Dodgers have 10 hitters in the top 210, three more than average. The Pirates, Orioles, and Rangers have just five each. Next question. Which Dodger has the highest year-to-date fantasy 5x5 value? Well, utility guy Chris Taylor, of all people, leads the Dodger hitters with just under $19 in 5x5 value. You might have thought Mookie Betts, Max Muncy, and Justin Turner, not so much. They're all down in the $14 to $15 range. Question, who's the hitter with the most value on the Pirates, Orioles, and Rangers? Pittsburgh's top hitter Adam Frazier, number 38 on the list at $17.41. Baltimore, how about Cedric Mullins, the surprise of the year at number 10 with his 9 homers, 15 bags, and 3.15 batting average, checking him in at $24.92. And Texas, another huge surprise. How about Isaiah Kiner-Falefa is number 11, just 8 cents behind Mullins. Next question. Within the top 210, which team's hitters have the most aggregated 5x5 fantasy value and the least? Well, the Houston Astros' nine hitters have compiled just over $140 in Baseball HQ 5x5 fantasy value this year, led by the resurgent Jose Altuve in around $22. Bringing up the rear, the New York Mets, with just under $48 in Baseball HQ 5x5 value, led, if that's the term, by Jonathan VR, who has $11 value so far this year, 93rd among all the players on the list. Question, which two teams have more than one hitter among the top 10? <laughs> Cincinnati has two top ten hitters by Baseball HQ 5x5 value. Nick Castellano is number eight and Jesse Winker is number nine, both in the $26 to $27 range. But the Reds take a back seat to the Blues. In this case, the Blue Jays, who have three top ten hitters, and in fact all three of them are top five by Baseball HQ's 5x5 fantasy value. Vladimir Guerrero is number two with just under $33, Bo Bichette, number four, just over $28, and Marcus Semyon, just under $28, to check in at number five. Question. Put these players into order of value from lowest to highest. Randy Rosarena, Matt Olson, and Tyler O'Neill. O'Neill brings up the rear at number 33, just under $18. Olsen is number 17 at $22.54. And a Rosa Raina is number 14 at $23.80. Question 12 teams have zero hitters in the bottom 30. Houston, San Diego, Cincinnati, Philadelphia, Oakland, St. Louis, Texas, San Francisco, Washington, and the Yankees are 11 of the 12. Which National League West team is the 12th team with no hitters in the bottom 30? Interestingly enough, it's Arizona. Thanks to Esdrubal Cabrera's $5.66, one penny of value ahead of Lourdes Gurriel to stay just out of the bottom 30. Question. We mentioned Cedric Mullins earlier, the only player in the top 50 who didn't even have an ADP this year which two American League West hitters in the top 30 were the lowest ranked by ADP. Well, I think you'll guess Adolis Garcia of Texas. He's number 20 on the list. He had an ADP of 741. And Yuli Gurriel of Houston is number 22 in value, just over $20 in value, but I don't know why he got so little support before the season. His ADP was 314 the second-last player taken. And finally, what differentiates the top three value hitters from almost all their peers in the top 210? Well, they're all juniors. Ronald Acuna, Vlad Guerrero, and Fernando Tatis. And of course, number four, Bo Bichette, also the son of a big leaguer. And that's our quiz. I don't know how you did, and frankly, I'm not all that interested. I'll have another quiz a few weeks down the road. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Patrick Davitt. I have my extra innings commentary here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, June the 18th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 29 of the 2021 Fantasy Baseball season. I also want to thank our guest expert for this Friday full edition, Jeff Zimmerman from Rotographs, Baseball HQ and the Launch Angle podcast. Jeff is one of the most active and curious analysts in fantasy baseball and a terrific guest. I also want to thank our regular commentators from baseballhq.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our Market Watch commentators were Harold Nichols and Ray Murphy. And our frequent flyer commentator was Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky. I'm Patrick Davitt, your extra innings commentator and the host of Baseball HQ Radio. I hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Also, remember you can stay in contact with Baseball HQ on Facebook and on our Twitter feed at Baseball HQ. You can also follow my personal Twitter feed at Patrick Davitt, where you'll always be the first to know when a new podcast is available. Please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio. Take a second to go to Stitcher, Pocket Cast, iTunes, wherever you catch your pods, and leave Baseball HQ Radio a good review and a rating. It really does help us find new listeners, and that helps us keep the podcast going. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again in seven days with another Friday Full Edition featuring NFBC Hall of Famer and two-time DFS Millie winner Dave Potts, as well as all the usual great stuff. Dave Potts coming up next Friday on the podcast with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. See you next Friday, and for now, so long.